Play it, Tim. Play the movie mumble theme. Hello, everybody, and welcome to Movie Mumble. Of all the podcasts on all the websites in all the world, you started listening to this one. <laughs> uh, for those of you unfamiliar, as my colleagues crack up silently, Movie Mumble is a monthly movie discussion podcast where four friends get together, watch a movie, and then talk about it. We all take turns choosing, and we can choose anything at all. The film can be old or new, foreign or domestic, live action or animated, a film we've seen a million times or never before. There are no rules. We spoil everything we watch, so if you're worried about that sort of thing, please watch a film before listening to its episode. And at the end of each episode, we'll announce what we're watching next month, so you can watch along with us if you like. The whole idea here is that when we share things we enjoy with people whose company we enjoy, we get more out of both. And that tends to be true basically every episode. Who have we got in the bar today? We've got here Joel Lewis, who is just like any other man, only more so. Howdy. Our pianist, Tim Gerard. Play it, Tim. Play the movie Mumble Fame. Okay, boss. <laughs> if, she, if she can take it, I can. And here we've got Zeke Perez, who found it cheaper to bribe himself than the umpire of the last MLB game he watches. Hello. As for me, I am your host, Scott Murray, and I came here for the pizza. But there is no pizza. I was misinformed. <laughs> you, 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 had, you had a goal. Is This whole podcast can't be quotes. And you have failed. No, sir. no, I said my notes on the film. Yeah, notes I, not... I never said anything about the podcast. Gentlemen, I think this is the beginning of a beautiful episode. <laughs> <laughs> God damn it. Okay. Okay. Done. Uh, if you stop, I will leave. If you stop, I'm quitting the podcast. Never I'll stop. I'll do what I can. I saw uh, Sarah's face in the background, horrified at the puttery. <laughs> no, that's what this is about, damn it. Uh, as many of you have already guessed, even if you didn't read the title, our film this month was Casablanca. Um, this was by selection, and I was actually, I believe, the only one of us who'd seen it before, right? That's correct. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, wow. I, I guess I'm becoming the old movie guy and or the suppo- old best movies ever guy between Citizen Kane and this, right? I don't know. should pick some other famous early 20th century Hollywood film. Stick with the theme. Uh, but for now, let's move on, I think. Well, I'll do a brief summary, and then we can do first impressions. Casablanca is essentially a war drama and a war romance rolled into one. Humphrey Bogart is Rick, our disillusioned American running a cafe in Casablanca, part of part of France at the time, currently not occupied by the Germans, wink, wink, instead part of, quote-unquote, Vichy France, and not openly occupied. Casablanca has become a haven for refugees, smugglers, criminals, lots of people who are trying to get out of Europe and away from the Nazis. And Rick basically does his best to stay uninvolved in everything until a major French resistance leader comes through with his wife, Rick's former flame, Ilsa. And then Rick finds himself roped into the crazy, totally in the open spy games of the war in Casablanca. And it concludes, of course, with our big dramatic scene at the airport and lots of quotable phrases. <laughs> I'll, I'll leave it there for now. We can go in detail later. I've talked enough, I think. Gentlemen, what would you like to say? Zeke, go first. <laughs> okay. Please, so we can um, hear you today. <laughs> sure, I'll start it up. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm glad that you brought this one. I, you know, I mean, 
I, I don't know. What can you say about it? Right. It's a, it's one of the Alzheimer's. It's uh, so highly rated all around and it's somehow one that I haven't seen ever. Um, so I was excited to watch it for that reason. Right. It, it's one of the just films, right. That you have to watch to, to, to be a movie lover. And I just haven't done that. So I was excited to get to watch it for that reason. Um, no, I, I really liked it. Uh, it was super quotable. I think in watching it, I don't know. It's, it's one that when I watched it, it is one of those that you feel like you've watched a billion times, even though you've never seen it because you know, the quotes and just even shot for shot, like the way it's set out. It's like, I feel like I've seen that scene because I've seen snippets of the movie and you feel like you've seen it collectively across pop culture, across, um, just great films that are referenced. Uh, so it was one that felt familiar, even though I hadn't seen it before. It was also one that I kind of confused with other great films from that era. I think I was like, oh, this is very quotable. I'm going to know all of the quotes. And I did, but I was also like, you know, when are they going to say, frankly, my dear, I don't give a damn. Oh, wait, that's <laughs> with the wind. Like, that's a whole other quotable movie <laughs> that I was waiting for that to happen. Um, yeah. So I think, I don't know, my brain was like, oh, the famous old movie. Um, and it was a famous old movie, but it was not all of them. If that makes sense. <laughs> yeah. So, um, but it kind of is. <laughs> but it kind of is, yeah. And, and it's I weird had the same like... thought about Gone with the Wind. I was like, wait, is that this one? No, that's that's another <laughs> unhealthy <laughs> right. relationship dynamic. <laughs> exactly, yeah. Both star-studded casts, uh, unhealthy relationship dynamic. Um, but no, it was great. I, I really enjoyed it. I... Um, I think, yeah, I was, I was planning on coming to this one, keeping my first impressions short and sweet because, because it did feel so familiar. That being said, I think there was another thing I was going to say about it that I can't remember now, but I don't know. I think that the shots were great. I, there it is. God damn. Took 30 seconds. Um, I think the fact that it was like so compact in the setting was something I wasn't expecting. Um, I don't know, thinking of the movies of this time and like Gone with the Wind and you're thinking of like the scene before the airplane and like they're out on the runway, all that stuff. Um, Other war epics, you know, exactly. Dr. Zhivago, Lords of Arabia, right. Kauai, Gone yeah. with the Wind, yeah. Right, whereas this one was, you know, very focused on the gin joint, right? Just you're in the bar a lot of the time. Same backdrop, um, a lot of familiar faces, all compact in that one setting, but it's still so dynamic. There are so many characters. Um, I think at one point I was looking for the cast and I asked Google to look for it. And it was like, there are 60 some actors in uh, Casablanca. Here are the first three. Just the fact that you fit so much into just one setting. I really liked that. I really liked how it was shot. Um, there's a lot of depth, even in kind of the silence. Um, but that said, the dialogue is great. Uh, hence all of the quotes that you get. Um, and just so much power. I found, I found myself feeling like it moved so quickly. Like I had paused to get up to do something and there was 15 minutes left. And I was like, how is there any way that there's that little of the movie left? Like I felt like it would be a lot longer, but it felt like we breezed through it. Um, so all that to say, I don't know. It was one that I really enjoyed. Glad I finally got to watch it. A lot of things happening despite the focus on just a few characters and just one setting. Um, and I feel like there's still so much that I haven't processed or grappled with. So I'm excited to hear everybody else talk about it so I can learn more. But uh, 
Yeah, glad to have finally gotten to watch this one. Thank you, thank you. Who'd like to go next? Tim, do you want to bat clean up or should I? Um, I, I don't know what that means, but... <laughs> I don't understand the question and I won't respond to it. <laughs> um, I Yeah, like I, I ended up liking it a lot more than I thought I was going to. Like, not like I was expecting to not like it, but I, I, I don't tend to like um old stuff as much you know just because i you know i feel like we're so used to you know the the pacing of things now and the the degree of action and things like that and and even just sometimes the concepts you know like sort of what um you know what things are about now and what things are important now versus what was important back then um also knowing that it had ties to world war ii and i don't you know i'm not a huge history buff so i didn't know how much of it was going to factor into understanding this and i was glad to see that like it you know you didn't you didn't have to know a lot about war, just the basics you know and just like yeah like the nazis are there and they're t- you know they're taking over places and they haven't quite taken over this place yet like people are trying to get out like okay like that's that's all you need to know and that i knew that so it was like okay cool it didn't it didn't rely on all these like subtle little details you know um th- you know in order to appreciate what was happening so so that was great like i was very quickly just like okay this is what's going on i get it i understood the context and was able to just kind of go on with the story you know so that was great. Um, and I, I, it was interesting because my, um, in my film score analysis class, they actually had, uh, they, they showed us like a clip. Uh, I think there were two clips. There's one where they're out in the marketplace and they're kind of looking for like, oh yeah, well, there are two Germans were killed and we're, you know, round up this suspicious people. So like that scene. And then the one where um, Ilsa and uh, uh, what, what's her, is her husband's name? Victor, is that his name? Laszlo, Victor Laszlo, yep. Victor Laszlo, yeah. And they show up and it's the whole thing with like Rick sitting down with them, which when they showed that scene, I remember being like, okay, I haven't seen this yet. So I don't understand the context. And I know that it's supposed to be uncomfortable because I, you know, knowing what I know about the film, like, oh, that's like, he's in love with her, but I didn't know any of the backstory. I mean, luckily there were parts of it that at that point you don't know, you know, you don't know their backstory at that point in the film. But I just remember seeing that scene and being like, all right, it's kind of taken out of context. And it was to see how the music's kind of affecting it. Um, But it was kind of interesting then watching it. Like one of the things that really struck me is that part when he's like, yeah, I'll have a drink with them. Like, Oh, this is unprecedented, you know, and how, how they set that up very early on, like, oh, ask Rick if he'll have the drink with us. No, he never drinks with the, you know, with his, you know, his clients, you know, and and so I thought that was really cool how they were, you know, kind of knowing that that was something that was coming later, getting to see those seeds being planted early, and and how quickly they're establishing kind of who Rick is, and you know, yeah, he owns this club, but he's kind of tucked away in this little office, and um, yeah, I thought it was it was just great how they how quickly everything got set up and you very, yeah, you very quickly knew kind of what he was about and, and how, you know, famous he kind of was within the realm of, of this club and everything. And, um, and yeah, I, and, and I think that's one of the reasons I did like it was like the pacing I feel like was, I, I, I wouldn't say it's quick, but it didn't linger a lot, but it lingered enough. You know, there was enough of establishing the atmosphere of the club, which I really liked, you know, I liked that, um, and I thought about this later, it kind of reminded me, um, you know, the way I was kind of thinking, explaining it is like, you know, in a film when you've got characters that in order for the plot to to move forward, they've got to get from point A to point B. But in their timeline, point A is now and point B is five hours from now. So we're just going to jump ahead to five hours. Or if you're Quentin Tarantino, 
you know, we're going to sit with these characters while they're waiting for that thing to happen. And I feel like this, you know, there you know, I wonder if, you know, and I know he's kind of a student of like the old classic films. And I, I wonder if that's kind of where he kind of got this is like, yeah, there's just some time spent in the club. However, I feel like the plot is slowly moving forward as we're just hanging out in the club. So it was really cool how it was a mix of those two things. You didn't feel like, okay, I have to pay attention every second because we're just, we're being very economical and only giving you the little details you need. You were getting details and you were getting story and you were learning about people and being introduced to people, but you were also just hanging out in this club, you know? And and I thought, I thought it was, it was great, you know, because I, I got that. I got that we're just here but I also was picking up on all the things that were building and leading somewhere. Um, so, yeah, so it was, it was, it was, it was great to get those moments and, and kind of feel like, yeah, this isn't, this is an older film. So they don't have the, the, the sense of hurry that we have now, but it didn't feel dragged. You know, it felt like it was like the perfect amount of time to, to sort of get the scope of it, to feel like you were hanging out in the club with everybody else, you know, like, Oh, I want to sit at a table and have a drink. And, and, um, you know, and then as, as things start to happen, you're kind of like, okay, here's this little thing. All right. That's going to be important, you know, and all these little kind of details falling into place. And, um, uh, yeah, it was, it was, it was great. Like I said, it was, it was all of the, the, the stuff connected to the war. I kind of understood, I under, understood the implications of it. So I wasn't like, I'm just going to go along for the ride. I don't get why this is important, you know? And, um, so yeah, so, you know, and then when we get to the scene that I had seen in, in class, it was, it was interesting. Cause when I watched it in class, it was almost kind of like, I, 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 yeah, I almost, I don't want to say disliked it, but I didn't get sort of what the connection they were kind of intending with, Oh, here's the music and here's how it comes in. And I watching that scene again, in the context of the film, it was really cool to be able to pay attention to the music because we had talked about it, but I cared so much more about the scene because just that little bit that we got to know Rick was just like, yeah, I know who this guy is. And, Oh shit, here she is, you know? And, and also, I mean, you know, Sam sells it too, just the way, his face when she walks in, like while he's playing, he's like, "Oh god damn it!" You know, like it was, it was so I can't great it, that it's really happening. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, I think my my one little critique is I wish they would have. I remember there was one point where they had a spotlight on Sam, and it's like they very easily could have not put the spotlight on his hands to show that he's not really playing piano. How he's just kind of like moving his hands on the keys. Yeah, I mean, it didn't ruin it for me, but it was more just kind of like. You you very easily could have just like let's they're let's more careful about these that these days yeah yeah. <laughs> yeah but but I mean it was it was you know other than, other than that everything was was great and I love how uh, you know and it is one of those things like I wish I didn't know how it ended going into it because they set the ending up so great and you're like you know at first you're like oh man you know Rick is kind of an asshole he's just gonna like take this guy's wife away from him and just leave him there you know in a concentration camp and it's like but no I know that's not how it ends like so I kind of felt I felt robbed of like the emotion that I should have been having in that moment you know and I I it maybe I mean you know it was it, it, I wasn't mad at the film I was mad at the fact that you know I, I think even if I had watched this earlier I would have known how it ended you know it's not like you know, a movie that just comes out and you wait a year to see it and everyone spoils the ending. It's like, we had a year to watch it. You know, it's like, this had already been out when I was born, but I feel like 
by the time I was old enough to appreciate it, it had already been, you know, a, a meme almost at that point, you know, with all the endlessly quotable stuff and everything. So like, I don't know what scenario I would have been in to have seen this not knowing how it ends and being able to go through that roller coaster, you know, of like, oh man, what an asshole. He's just going to get this guy arrested and take his wife. And then the twist of, oh, I pulled the gun on you. You're not going to arrest. Like, you know, but you know, intellectually i guess even just being able to watch that stuff i was like this is fucking great this is brilliant this is so cool like you know like the way this is playing out and and how how subtle it was but there was all this action and tension to it you know and yeah i don't know i mean i i i see why i i and i i not not that we have to compare but like watch you know because you know you've had two of these kind of old-timey best films of all time I, I enjoyed this one a lot more than Citizen Kane. I think because I don't know, it had it had a little more action to it, but like I feel like rather than kind of following one man's life and kind of what he happened to do, like this one just had it had more of a um more more of a Shakespearean aspect to it, I feel like, you know. And it, it just it was I don't know, it was really cool. It was like like I I had I known I would have enjoyed it this much, I mean I wouldn't have waited this long to see it, you know, but um, but yeah, and there, and there are details I want to go into, but yeah, just like from start to finish, I was like, yeah, this is, this is cool. Like I'm enjoying this, like everything, everything about it was, was, you know, it, it, it kind of made me rethink like, well, what is it, what is it that makes me like a film, you know? And it's not like that I dislike all black and white films, but a lot of times black and white films do tend to capture your attention less, but I feel like it almost seems like with this film, they were trying to work with the idea of black and white. Like, even if it was shot in color, it would look very similar because like, you know, he's wearing this white tuxedo jacket with black tuxedo pants, you know? So, so it's almost like it wasn't just the film that was black and white, the film, you know, the, the, the content of it seemed to be very, very black and white and very stark. And, you know, and that's one of the things I want to talk about later, but anyway, so yeah, first impressions, two thumbs up. (laughs) All right, Joel, take us home. I mean, you got my in real time reaction, Scott. Fifteen minutes into this film, I paused it and called my my dear friend Scott, and I yelled at him in his voicemail. I said, "This is the greatest movie of all time. How dare you spring this on me so late in my life? How dare I not experience this before this moment?" I fucking love this movie, and I it was a strange it was a strange feeling of watching something that I I knew. If I had watched it for the first time at any point in my life, I would have loved it. And I don't know that there's any movie, maybe Star Wars would be the only thing that approaches that, Hmm. that every point in my life, if I had been introduced to that film for the first time, I would have loved it as much as I did. Like it, it was, I, it's an attitude. There's a film language at work here that has inspired everybody I've ever loved as a director. I mean, Spielberg. And like and Luke, like I'll just just Indiana Jones and Star Wars. Period. Owe their existence to this film. Noir as a genre, like I, it's not even noir. It, it, I, there's ver- there's not. a little bit of DNA to it. I could see, but it, it's an aesthetic mm-hmm. that there's definitely something about. But the location is perfect, sequestered. It has this great claustrophobia to it, and this great moment in history where. We're in a stagnate kind of weird purgatory and all of these characters are here and everybody gets a little moment to shine. And I mean, Peter Lore is in this film for the first 15 minutes and he's freaking incredible. I love that character actor. I love what he's, 
when he when he's going to be arrested and he, he has to uh, uh, be able to cash in his chips before leaving. Like I I don't know. Like it, it just every second of it further affirmed why this has. I, I felt like a film student basic bitch. Like this is original recipe. <laughs> We're supposed to love this one. They tell us like I I couldn't be cynical about it because it's just good. It, there's very little fat to it. There, there's some pro. I mean, Renal is is Satan essentially. He he's a trickster. He, he go and that, he's the most sinister person in it because he's making. He is benefiting from the warring states. He's going to from all the sides, from every yeah. direction. Yeah. So him manipulating that uh, refugee and the wife into sleeping with him, and that's finally the straw that breaks the camel's back for for Rick to, to fucking choose a side. It, it just, it, it does so much. It, the icon, the iconography of it, the metaphor of it, the, the planes, the intermittent planes leaving the Lisbon and how rare they are and how everything stops and everyone looks up. And it's just a super dramatic, poignant moment. It just made flight so important. And that's where the apex of the film at the end, where to depart, it has to get off the ground or else it, it could be a non-starter. So it, that that was incredible about it. Shots, 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 shots. For for days, there are brilliant setups and composite shots in this. You feel the temperature of this muggy. I mean, it, it's also like Lucas owes his whole fucking career to this movie. I, <laughs> seriously, like the cantina, this, the Tatooine, Boss Eisley cantina is fucking Rick's. It, like, it just... The way you feel the gr- I don't know that that's not to not to talk down to George Lucas, which we, which we manage to do every episode, and by we I mean me. But <laughs> I I don't know. It, it just it was so interesting, and it's so different from Citizen Kane. And I I feel like mm-hmm. there's like an auteur like difference between the two. I, I, they're they're both great. They're both I I have loved Citizen Kane more in since I've seen it. I've just further like liked it this one was instant so i like but there's very different in what people took from them and it's really interesting to see kind of like more technique i guess is what uh that people took from citizen kane it seems like um but from this it was attitude it's how you compose a shot it's how you tell everything about a character before you i mean it's there's eight people just steal from it like there's so much about how you reveal the 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 lead uh, sorry, I, I, it's supposed to be just first impressions that I do the thing that I do, and I talk about every fucking aspect of it. But like, it, it, it was just incredible. I, I really, really enjoyed it. I, I was mad again. I was so mad to have to take notes, and I stopped it like fifteen or twenty times because I didn't want to miss a freaking frame of it. And, and that's the thing. I, I got busy doing something, and I had paused it after I was writing for a second, and I rewound it, and I had missed him dropping the tickets into the piano. Yeah. So if I hadn't rewound it, like there's just so like, there's no fat on it. Like it just, everything that needs to be on screen is on screen. There's no, no wasted film. And it was incredible. I, I wanted to watch it again. I'm probably going to watch it again after this because it was really, I really enjoyed it. Thank you. Thank you. I, I mean, I'm glad that you all loved it. Of course. But I agree with a lot of what you all said, and I, I find the same thing in the film, so I'm glad to hear that I'm not just crazy. 
Um, Tim, I like you mentioned that you don't really need to know about the war because the film just sets it up for you, right? Yeah. And similarly, I always forget how long this movie is because I forget the whole first act exists. I think that the whole film is Rick Steele's in a, suit, a gray market. There are these two letters of transit. Laszlo and Elsa show up. Go. But they spend that whole first act of the movie setting up the place as a living, breathing location. And every important player in there, even Laszlo, even though he's not there yet, they talk about him. They set up the club. You, all, you both mentioned that they spend time in the club, Tim, in the front room, in the back room, in the space in between. The Germans aren't allowed through here. They always come through. Who is this Rick? We seep up to him into the back, and then we follow him back up to the front. So by the time the rest of the film has to happen, it can go. It can just be quick. He doesn't have to stop ever and spend time explaining something because it's all set up. It's Joel, we talked about that with uh, Evangelion, that all these other characters, they get one minute here and one minute there from the moment they show up. So by the time in episode, I don't know, whatever, 12, right, this character has their breakdown, it doesn't feel sudden because without even realizing it, we know this person. And Casablanca sort of does the same thing all the way up. Or I was talking to a friend of mine, the first Harry Potter book doesn't even arrive at Hogwarts until almost like two thirds of the way through the book. And you say that people and they go, huh? Because it's Harry Potter. The whole thing is Hogwarts. That's the whole point. That's the, the location. But, you know, that whole first book spends all this time setting up magic and magic doorways and moving staircases and Hogwarts as a place. And so that's part of why we can just return there so immediately in the other books because it's all been explained. And Casablanca does the same thing with every single moving part of the entire film. And you're right. I forget that it's, you know, almost, it's uh, it's almost two hours, right? Because it just keeps moving all the time. I agree with you, Tim, about a lot of older films don't do that. There's definitely a, a shared language there that just Casablanca sort of turns away from. And I think it's definitely to its benefit. And then what you mentioned, Joel, about it feels almost like Casablanca is the pinnacle of one kind of filmmaking, while Citizen Kane is the beginning of a new kind of filmmaking, if that makes sense. It, w- it would feel like the, the, the pinnacle if... It, 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 well, I guess it is, because it's everybody's facsimile. <laughs> I'm, I'm so, so mad at my favorite directors now, because it's just like, <laughs> come on, guys. I do. Yeah. <laughs> this is what they, everybody said, but to have it verified... You've seen it without seeing it. Because of course you have. It's everywhere. You can't get away from it. And I I tried to temper expectations going into Citizen Kane. If you recall, I said, guys, people call this the best film in the world. It's not. Don't go in thinking that it is. Just go in thinking that it's a good story about a man. And if I remember correctly, you all kind of agree that that was a good, good idea, right? Because it isn't the best film in the world, but it is a quality script and the shooting techniques are solid. And I, I chose to take the same approach for Casablanca. I don't remember if we were still recording at the end of last episode when I said it or not, but I said, again, this film gets a lot of hype, but it's just a good story about these people tangled up in the war as they all intersect in this one time and place. So do you think that was also worthwhile, that, that sort of warning on the cover for Casablanca? Yeah, I think so. I think, yeah, like if you're if you're going into it like, okay, this better blow my mind because that's what everyone says, you know, as opposed to just like, just just watch it like a movie, you know, and yeah. Mm-hmm. And I, I feel like course... with us, context is always helpful, <laughs> as yeah. I have learned many times. <laughs> Hype can affect anything, you know, not just yeah. famous movies, but 
with these in particular, like you said, Zeke, it's hard to get away from because it's just everywhere. Right. I feel like positively or negatively, I do find myself influenced, right? And I think I popped on and saw this one is what, like a 99% Rotten Tomatoes, right? Widely regarded best movie. So that in my mind is the same as if I see that it's a 2% Rotten Tomatoes, right? I'm like, oh, I'm supposed to hate this. Oh, I'm supposed to love this. Um, But yeah, I do think your context of like, just go in, think of the story. Don't think of it as, you know, best movie. Like just think of it as what it is. I, I, I do think that helped me too. So I'm realizing I didn't talk about how I came across the film. But I don't remember, honestly. <laughs> I, I mean, like you said, Zeke, it's just it's everywhere all the time. I think I might have just bought it one day on Amazon for cheap and just went, I've never seen this. I might as well get it. Famous, just take it out of the collection. And just, but I do remember, like you, Joel, that the first time I saw it, I immediately loved everything about it from start to finish. It's such a tone, man. Like, it just... <sighs> We get the the freaking map thing within the first f- fucking frames, and it's a great voiceover. It's not overly long. It's also interesting to watch this in in comparison to Citizen Kane because they both have kind of a pre-roll. They both kind of have this focus on the mystique of these men. I don't know, and it's interesting that you kind of hear about Rick before you see Rick. You hear about the major before you see the major. You hear about Laszlo before you. So it's all heraldry. It's very Shakespearean, Tim. Actually, like. You always hear about the king six times before he shows up, right? Like, here comes King Lear, you know, yonder lies the, the castle of my father type shit. I don't know. It, it's, uh, yeah, I, I didn't think about it as Shakespearean in the, the moment, but it totally fits. I it, it establishes what it is so quickly, and we reckon, I don't know if it's just I have the apparatus from every pop culture. Th- I mean, I feel like I, I watched it in the beginning. I was like, why am I thinking Bugs Bunny? Because Bugs Bunny, they, they did a Casablanca parody, right? Like, I feel like I'd seen, <laughs> the first time I'd seen some of these yes. scenes was Bugs was doing the thing. And I, so it just felt like I knew I knew where we were. I, I couldn't remember where Casablanca was in my mind before we got there. But I was like, Carrie no, Blanca, Bugs just for the record. Carrie, Bl- Carrie, <laughs> Carrie, Carrie Blanca. So it, the it one just, where, like, he's got, like, he, he, Humphrey Bogart's there, and he's like, oh, it's going to be curtains, and they put the curtains on it, and then he's like, <laughs> oh, I guess I'll have a ham sandwich. And that's, like, the end of it. Like, he wanted something specific, and they couldn't get him the thing he wanted. And he, like, thought he was going to get shot with a machine gun or something. And... <laughs> Yeah, that was definitely in my mind, too. And I was just like, okay, like, don't, you know. But it was also, I remember thinking, too, like, how closely they got him in the animation. Like, it, that was, it was damn good. Like, I'm watching this expecting to be like, oh, yeah, that was like a silly caricature. I was like, it was, it was pretty accurate. <laughs> <laughs> and then Peter, Peter Laurie, too. I remember just a few days ago, I saw a tweet yes. that was like, Peter Laurie, just the cartoon industry <laughs> just went hard on him and the caricatures. Um, and I absolutely remember like the caricature of him in the bugs cartoons. And then, so, you know, 10, 15 minutes in, when you see him, I'm like, Oh shit, he's in here. Like, I do recognize that face from like the, the bugs cartoons I saw when I was a kid and like the voice and like, you know, like the creepy little guy, like is yeah. Um, but he's a great character actor. And yeah, again, just another, like all of the characters are everywhere in pop culture. Just, yeah, I had forgotten that he was. They had done that in Bugs because I was thinking like I always think Igor when I hear his voice and I right, see right, right, and that's because right isn't he like the big the heart shaped monster? Yeah, uh huh. With that one, that? yeah, he's the like the yeah the scientist yeah, with that monster. With that yeah, like, <laughs> so it's just and I I love he's in a, a what is it the uh, the Patsy a, a Jerry Lewis film 
and Jerry Lewis ha- falls happens back backwards into becoming an actor and a song and dance man. He has this whole team of like agents, and he Peter Lorre is one of his agents. And he's just weird. He changes the temperature in the room. He's just. It doesn't matter what his line is. It doesn't matter how long he's on screen. He's just fuck. He owns that scene as the little things that he did too. That performance is wild. Like I, I couldn't stop looking at him and then he was dead. I was like, no, you didn't just kill. <laughs> uh, what was it? There's Legendary character. Actor. There. Mm. That, like Tim mentioned, it works for every piece of the film. You know, mm. he's barely in it, but we get the measure of this man and what he does his everything about him in that first interaction. You know, all what my, a terrible guy all for my a friends, spy. You, know? you never liked me, but that is why you're the only one I trust, Eric. <laughs> Right? Do you despise me? I gave you any thought. I probably would. Probably he doesn't even blink. He just presses on with the conversation. That uh and I, I like the way that he sneaks in to the back room, and like they chase the one guy who's trying to get in, who's like really like he's got money, he's trying to like, spend money, and he gets yeah. stopped, and he weasels his way in, and that's how we meet the man. Like ah, the the reveal of Humphrey in this. Holy shit. I know Bogart, like, to Bogart something is a, a, a verb, right? The man, I thought it was because he, like, was overbearing. He might have been back. I don't know that. But the man just fucking, that man must have the biggest head in Hollywood. He's just huge on screen. And he just, every fucking inch of him is acting. I can't, I was so, oh, God. His hands just move of their own volition sometimes. They do. Uh, exactly. So he, he walks, he's walking back through the, the, uh, uh, the dining room and there's a glass that's fallen over on his left hand side. He doesn't even look at it. He writes it and moves on. And that shot's echoed later when he uh, uh, knocks over the glass waiting for her or, or like drinking later, like it spills or no, no. When she discovers that he, he's going to leave and the war started, she spills a glass and it's like an echo of that moment. He's reformed. He's his glass is half full again. Sorry, I, I'm finding a lot of metaphor in it. No, just, please. It, it just great. He's fucking colossal. And the the way they frame him when they introduce him, you see the the chessboard, the bishops there. He's got his drink. He's got his cigarette. He's got his. You see his hands first, and then the man enters frame, and it's just ah. Uh, Felt like seriously a basic bitch. I just felt like a film basic bitch. Like this is exactly what I want, Daddy. Give it to me more. Like that's all I wanted was more of that, and they did it for almost two hours. It was great. <laughs> I feel like like Harrison Ford is definitely that same kind of actor. You know, yes. where it's like yeah, like you said, like every every movement is ingrained. You know, it's not it's not thought about. Like I don't know if that if that's what they refer to when they say like method acting of you kind of becoming the character, but. You know, I know some people tend to take that too far, but no, I feel like, yeah, it's just like, yeah, it's not just like what you're saying, but yeah, like the the way they move and you just kind of like lose who that person is because they're just in the character. And yeah, and it's, it's, it's every part of their, their body, not just like saying these lines and whatever. And it's, yeah, like, it's just the way, the way they move through the world that they're in, you know, like they're comfortable in that world. They belong in that world because they've lived in that world. You know, they're not pretending to be in that world, you know. Yeah, he's great. It's He was actually kind of small in stature in real life. He was short. Oh. Yeah, he wasn't. I, um, I mean, I, yeah, <laughs> using Wikipedia here, apparently he was five foot seven and a half. 
but yeah, you can't tell. And it's part of just the way he dresses and the way he stands and the way he all about your own body language, everything you communicate to other people. He has the presence he needs. And I, I love I love this character. I feel like Steve McQueen and Bullet and this really seeing them has really given me a different view of this idea of masculinity in film. These are not you're slapping the dame to get her to stop screaming in hysterics. These are like sensitive, like these dudes. I mean, Steve McQueen's kind of dead serial killer inside in, in Bullet. Like he's yeah. he's he's seen too much, but he we still get that fun scene at the the restaurant where the waitress almost cuts uh, gives him a paper cut with the menu. Like we get that little moment. So there's like a, a soul there, but like this is a guy who just got wrecked emotionally, and he feels it, and he shows. This is a John Wayne. You know, yeah. this is not the don't show me cry and don't like my hair piece has like I will have to keep the illusion of this masculine image. I just, he was every inch a man for the motion and the fucking, the, the pain. And it, I love if the story. That it, it was, I can. What a line right there. Mm-hmm. And I love, you see, you see him dying behind his eyes and he starts to drink and you just like been there, man, I get it. And the fact her too, Ingrid's character, Ilsa, the, how torn, how awful you see it all in her face and even though you don't quite know what happens, and we kind of know what happens because of the ubiquity of it, but, like, you know there's something more there, and when you find out, you're like, oh, my God. He was – it's not her fault. It's nobody's fault. It's bad timing in World War Two. Like, it's just, again, Shakespearean. It has that that Victorian tragedy. It's very Bronte. I love One of that. my notes is that I think this is the only piece of fiction I have ever truly believed that – she loves both of them. Yes. She does. You yes. know, in different ways, at different yes. times. But it wasn't just, oh, this one was an infatuation. Or, oh, this one was a rebound. Like, it really feels like these were two totally equitable and incomparable loves. And you totally, you empathize with her. She's like, I can't think anymore. You're going to have to do the thinking for both of us. And I love that moment because it's not about I'm the man. I should take charge. I'm claiming you. I have to fight for you. It's all about now that he sees all the whole spectrum he also feels you should be with him it's important it's important to you and to him and i wouldn't be part of the equation if not for some really bad luck it is incredible the way they played that and you humphrey sells it the whole way through you see all of the anger you see the instant regret of did i go too hard and she's gone like there, because when she comes to to talk, he's just a wall, and you can see he's crumbling behind it. It's like he's just he only has the energy to be vile and vicious back to her. Like just leave. Why? Why? Why torment me? It just it, it is incredible that arc, and that sophisticated an arc, and that not being traditional male female relationship roles it, it's really like powerful she i feel like she has a lot of agency despite being whisked from thing to thing to thing by these men i mean as much agency as a character from this era of filmmaking has had you know i thought that was really interesting and i re- like she it's a full part she is a lead there's no she's not sidestepped at all she's just powerful and to throw some more credit around for like Humphrey's masculinity and his character on screen, I think Sam de- deserves a lot for that too. Um, Tim, to your point, right? When, when, you know, uh, Ilsa first walks in and Sam's like, oh, here she is. 
um, to then the moment, not to jump ahead of myself, but with one of my favorite scenes when, you know, Rick is just wrecked and Sam's like, ain't you going to bed? He's like, no, not right now. Um, are you going to plan, plan to go to bed in the near future? Like, <laughs> nope. Are you ever going to bed? Like, just, the, just the, the character that Sam plays in, like, Rick struggling, dealing through it, and Sam's just there to, to, to bounce that off of him and, like, be the sidekick and to be the, the not the reflection, but kind of like an alternate to, to, to what Rick is feeling, um, to boost his character and to boost, like, how he appears on screen like it's just such a dynamic duo i wrote that sam is the samwise of this movie yeah fucking yeah he is oh my god i can't carry it for you but i can carry you hallelujah brother yes yeah that's yeah that's the best way to put it just because he yeah without him there to boost rick i don't know that rick comes across the same way either right just like ilsa and rick like i think sam is necessary for rick's character too and I like too that like it, that scene especially is a way to show you know because there's a lot of people we see Rick interacting with in the club you know we see Sam in the club I don't can't remember if we see that the two of them interact in the club until Sam's playing the song and he comes up so it's like you know oh he just someone else who works and they're like no like they're buds like they came to Casablanca together and you get to see that the familiarity and the comfort that he has where it's just like like hey like I'm gonna kind of try to point out what's happening here. You know, if you're going to choose to see it and not do anything about it, I get, but you know, it's like, I feel like, yeah, plenty of the other people in the club wouldn't have talked to him like that. Wouldn't have dared to talk to him like that, but Sam knows him like, you know, there he's more than just an employee. And I feel like we get to see that in that scene where he kind of, you know, cares about him, but also like, okay, I know who you are. I'm not going to be like, Oh, I'm going to take your bottle away. You you're, you know, it's like, you know, I, yeah, I feel like that that moment kind of really sells their whole relationship as opposed to just like, oh, you're a pianist who works for me kind of thing, you know? He wasn't ignoring Sam at the start. He trusts him. So yeah. Sam was allowed to just be on his own. It's such a great uh, show, don't tell, right? With so much about the character, right? Like, I mean, it's a simple few lines. Like, aren't you going to bed? Are you going to go to bed anytime soon? Like... Or, you know, just that, like it's three simple lines, but what you get from it tells you so much about their relationship, so much about Sam knowing what Rick has been through with this girl, what Rick has been through with his life. You don't need to sit there and be like, oh man, hey, your ex-girlfriend is back. Like, whoa, your ex-flame, how are you feeling right now? What are you going to do? It just cuts to like, Sam is feeling what Rick is feeling. And Sam conveys that through just one, two lines and you're, you know, you're transported to, to just to their entire relationship, whether it's five years back, 10 years back, like you don't know. But like the other scene, too, is when uh, Ferrari comes in and he's like, oh, hey, I want Sam to work with me. Rick goes and like, hey, you know, he wants he'll pay you double. Sam's like, no, I'm happy here. Both of those scenes tell you so much about the club, so much about Rick, so much about Sam, so much about Ferrari. Like, and it's it's like two or three lines. Like you don't need to sit there and be like, no, I'd rather work here because we've worked together for a few years and because I know you and I trust you. Like so much is shown rather than told. And I I don't know. I, yeah, I really appreciated the movie. And there are so many scenes like that too. I referenced in my first impressions when you get, um, I'm going to again, jump ahead, but like when uh, I have it in my notes, but when they're, when Sam is playing the, uh, the knock on wood song and Ferrari and Rick look at each other and it's silent except for that music music in the background and Rick and Ferrari just like glance at each other. And it's kind of the tension between each other. 
that tells so much more than you could if you filled that with five, 10 minutes of dialogue, just the silence and the glance between each other. And I think that's one of the things, whether that's like a pan across the crowd or like a shot to an extra or like a shot on one of the main characters, I think it just did a lot of that and did a lot of um, just demonstrating the characters without any dialogue. That was a ramble, but yeah. No, it's great. Like you said, it tells you about all the people involved. I love that Ferrari's. Like at first, oh, he's the one who's here to buy, you know, buy the cafe. And by Sam, like, oh, he's going to be this, this thorn in Rick's side. But they do their little like rehearsed back and forth of, ah, oh, no, I have you working for you. And then Ferry just goes, all right, because this that's business. It's fine. Like you get the sense that Ferrari gets it that he There's wants no malice his there. to be like that for him. Yeah. So he understands when Rick's people are like that for Rick. Yeah. He also feels like he's he's encountered. Oh, I can't buy these people. That's fine. Mm-hmm. Like he's not carving into my profits. Like I just want to yeah. make more money off. Like yeah. it, that was good. Like it was, it was one of those things. Like oh, is this going to be kind of an angle? Is he going to be manipulative or like try and get him? No, he's Even just like later. he's playing the game his way. I'm playing it mine. Let's oh, just yeah. yeah. Even later, he's talking to Rick at the Blue Parrot, right? And he's trying to like, oh, I'll buy the visas from you. We'll make money, and he's giving them the spiel. But at the end, as Rick is starting to get up, like Frey says, Rick, don't be fooled. You need a partner in this. Like. The facade drops, and it's like, look, yeah. we're both business owners here. We're it's both concerned. balancing on the edge the way Renault is, the way so many people here are. It's split between two worlds. Like, you know, we get along. Like, let me help you, <laughs> right? Let's let's stick together. Something else that was really fascinating about Sam was, like, he knew her, he, her coming was one thing. He goes over to talk to her, and then she says the old songs. He's like, okay. He knows that. And then he knows that's the song. That's the song. And in oh, the same song? way. I don't know it. Sorry, man. <laughs> in the same way that we we hear about Laszlo before we see him, we see hear about Rick and we hear about the major, the the herald heralding of her arrival is that song. And you can see when Rick walks out of his office, it's like he hit a brick wall. He hears it and he stops dead and he's like, No, we're not doing that. And for Sam to feel like Oh, I have. To, I'm. I was gonna have to tell him, or maybe I could have gotten away without him knowing. Like I could have found a way to not tell him. But I am literally the herald of the angel of death here, and it, it just. I the way he played that was great, and that that moment that ex, it gets expanded later is everything in the the moment he sees her. He recognizes her. He goes through that. Oh God, do I tell him? Should I, I probably am going to be the one to have to tell him. And that was just really interesting that like she wanted to reminisce and the the power of that song and how they weave the song into the, the score throughout is really good. Like I, an interesting exploration of that kind of a, adaptation and interpretation of that in the score was fascinating. So it just, and Sam at the center of that, like Sam is the music. And that's the thing, like it goes, uh, <laughs> it's another one of our, our Scrabble words, right? Like the diegetic, non-diegetic thing. Like it, it's your bingo card now. Take your whiskey shot. Diegetic. <laughs> we got to get uh, uh, so stealing somebody's bit. That's a way, way, way back. And then we need to do a, uh, um, a blockbuster reference. <laughs> you get those, you can get fucking drunk tonight. But just the idea that Sam is in the scene and playing that song. And then the song continues to linger in the way that it would for somebody who has that emotional nostalgic tie to it. It just, it, it's got vapors, man. How, how are they like it, everything is contributing to this 
feeling of a place very well lived in and very like very little um effort to suspend my disbelief during this you know even though it's aged and it, uh, even though i the guy who plays renault is senator Payne from uh mr smith goes to washington and he's doing this <laughs> british 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 accent oh and i and i love that actor and i love that performance what a what a role to play and just it, it, i don't know like it, it got me I, I i bought in so quickly and it just continued to to um reward me for the buy-in you know like it, it it just it established a world that you could believe and then it did things in that world that just built off of its legitimacy in a way it's very strange the the realism of this film like i said you just you forget the whole first act because it sets up the place and once you're there it's so easy to go back it's so easy to return it is so nice to watch movies that are under two hours, boys. I seriously, <laughs> because you just feel so satisfied and whole afterwards. It's like I could go, I could go eat something now. <laughs> it's still light out. <laughs> um, Scott, what? Please. You should open up uh, favorite scenes. I'm I'm fascinated to know. Sure. I mean, I I want to take a detour for a moment, sure. um, if you don't mind, and Tim talk about the wartime stuff a bit because you're right. I I mean, I read about. World War II, especially in war in general, since I was a kid, devoured it from when war was cool to when it wasn't and kept going, right? <laughs> You're right, this film in particular, you don't need to know a lot. But now that I do know more, I noticed a lot. And I just want to talk a little bit about some of those pieces, right? That in the beginning, when they're rounding up double the usual number of suspects, and there's that one guy who doesn't have his papers, and then his papers are expired, and then in the papers is that free French cross, and he runs, and they gun him down. He falls right in front of that mural i guess of of the man patain was so so once france fell there was occupied france in the north which was of course occupied and the germans were in charge but there was also vichy france which was on paper a separate entity governed by the french letting them govern themselves but it was a puppet government the germans were in charge and the head of vichy france was that patain marshal patain who was basically france's greatest hero for world war one I. I mean absolute adulation and he ended up in charge of the collaborationist vichy government because like many he figured that to play alone a little and push back where you could would be better for you than resisting entirely you know the the sense of like oh well if i just say no they're going to shoot me right now but if i say yeah okay and then do a shitty job later and then slink away you know i could and in the end patain was seen as as the greatest traitor france had ever produced um, and I, I think he was legitimately convicted of treason after the war. So the fact that that free French agent running on the street is gunned down in front of the mural of Patane is symbolic in itself. But even if you don't know that, you don't care. You just know that he had this cross, he got shot, the French are playing this cat and mouse, so later, when the man with the ring shows up and talks to Laszlo, it all comes together. And the film is just full of all those sorts of little details and dialogue bits that connect to the larger war if you know what they're saying, but that even if you don't, make absolute sense in the moment. There's that Italian officer, right, at the airport who, like, has to step forward and just oh start talking, God. and they dismiss him immediately. That was because... everything about that dynamic. Oh, right. my God. I wrote that right. down. It's like, oh, my God, what a great – it just – it summarized just... everything in just two seconds. It was so perfect. 
you know, we, the Italians fought for a good while and then surrendered and then overthrew their fascist government and booted them out. And then the Germans showed up and reinstalled the fascist government and continued the war. So there you are. That, that line later when the French policeman is talking his head off to the Italian and uh, Captain Renault says to Rick, if you can get a single word, it will be a major Italian victory. Like, it's a double <laughs> joke. Because, of course, oh, yeah, it'll be a victory if anyone can get a word in just against this guy. But also, like, that, that'll that be the most success Italy's had in this war, was to talk in this conversation. <laughs> like, um, so not to, I'm not going to ramble on about war facts, but yeah, like, at first time I watched, I did not know. I didn't catch almost any of those. But now, as I've watched in later years, I see more and more of them. And it's, yet again, it's so clever that it's all there, but it doesn't ruin your perception of the film if you don't pick up on it it's fascinating too to see the the two kinds of obstinance the two kinds of non-committal not not choosing a side but making a decision and the idea of renault versus rick both are not participating and not fighting one is supremely worse than the other but the other one is still like it's 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 circles of hell right that's the difference right Rick is not committing and watching things unfold, and he's not fighting on the right side. I still knows, out for nobody. Right. Mm-hmm. And, and it's so interesting to see those two characters and how they operate. And Renault is, is, is dancing. He's tap dancing the whole time. What can I get you? Who can I do? And Rick is sitting back and just let, he's letting his silence speak louder than words. And I just thought that was such an interesting, like, Every character in their metaphorical position, iconic position in this film, representing different parts of the conflict, different parts of not being in the army. You know, we talk a lot about World War II from the front lines, from from the militaristic standpoint. We don't have a lot of these from from occupied or the this really weird liminal purgatory space. There's no man's land in, in effect. And I just, I, it's so fascinating. You just understand that conflict. You understand all of these different people that you see all the rich, the, the, it's just such a wild clash of cultures and people and, and different levels of wealth in, in Rick's, in Casablanca at large. You see the different, like, there's a really rich businessman and, and they're all speaking different languages and they're all around the table and they're all sweating from the, it's just everybody's been in, pushed basically the, the germans fucking put their hand across europe and pushed everybody down to this focal point and it's just so so interesting to see the the very real character dynamics and the, the specific mm-hmm. ones that they dealt with like having to navigate this and how that do you have any kind the guy of and the woman with the diamond necklace about like yeah. diamonds are everywhere you've got all the diamonds mm-hmm. just what what money is worth there now like what the 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 inflation and the the uh, um, feast and famine of it all, you know, it's just very fascinating. I don't know whether so the film does play up a bit on this idea that Vichy France is a separate country. You know, Maslo and the, the German colonel talk to each other, and the colonel's mm-hmm. like, "You're a wanted man." He's like, "Well, I'm in France, bitch. Too bad." <laughs> you know, the French don't want me. But in reality, the Vichy France, like I said, it was a puppet government. They, the French police, just would have arrested him immediately. Right. Slash the Germans just would have done it themselves. You know, there was no the 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 idea of a certain amount of legal protection is largely a construction of the film. But man, what a what an absolutely evocative 
setting place. Yes. Right. The, the idea of setting it there and also nailing all those dynamics in this hypothetical, right? Like that, Mm -hmm. it's just fascinating that they got so much, so much excess, even if it wasn't accurate, you understood the dynamics really Mm -hmm. well, really early. I seriously, the, the heraldry, the, the signaling of someone's approach seems to be a big part of the character development. And that's part of what pushes Renault to be right. When the Colonel says, close down the club, Renault makes his protest like, oh, well, everyone's having such a good time. But like, on the other hand, he's nominally in charge and he knows the value of places like Rick's and the Blue Parrot of being Mm -hmm. a place where everything happens so that you can, he kind of embodies Petain's whole mentality of like, well, if we allow it, we have a certain measure of control. Whereas if we resist it, it just, we're totally shit out of luck. And the colonel just like, no, too bad. Make up a reason. I don't care. Like, oh, he's not in charge. The Germans are in charge. And that, yeah. I love that scene where he's like, here, I'm, I'm master of my kingdom. It gets, oh, the major's here. You were saying just the, yeah. the, the, the racket, rat hat. Oh, man. This is the most uh, fast talking high trousers movie of all time. And it's beautiful. Just, just <laughs> excellent. The timing. Well, and it's not, it's not hokey like some of those are where it's like, right. you know, it's, it's so obviously, I mean, obviously it's a film or a play, so obviously it's scripted, but like, you don't get that sort of like, we're almost like, oh, I'm, I'm starting my line on, on the, the period of your line. So there's no silence in between. Like, you're still getting the sense of like, I'm finishing a thought. Okay. Now I'm responding to that thought, you know, not I'm delivering the line after my cue for that line, you know? But yeah, it's and that's one of the things. Yeah, I noticed is that it's very quick, but it, it still feels organic, you know. And um, as opposed to some like like Gilmore Girls, that's something I always criticize. Like my mom and sister had watched that, and I'm like, do they take a breath? You know, I feel like they're just always like ping ponging back and forth, and it's like the I haven't even processed, you know, <laughs> I haven't even processed what she's said yet, you know, and she's already like, you know, at the end of her response, and she's about to respond to what she said in response to what she said originally, and it's just like, holy shit, how do you keep up with this? But like with this, yeah, it was it was definitely like it was yeah the, like the timing was much better. It was it was right in between like you know okay if you waited too long now it's like you're you're messing up the pacing. But if you're doing it too quickly, it's almost like all right we you know we gotta we gotta hurry up intermissions in thirteen minutes we gotta finish this act you know like and it wasn't like that it was very much like like yeah like I'm enjoying the flow of this conversation and the the you know the back and forth of it absolutely I love I can lead now into into favorite scenes, if you will, Joel, that, you know, Rick's been drinking. Carl comes by and says to him, you're getting to be your best customer. And it's a warning, you know? It's like a, a nudge. But what happens after that is Captain Renault shows up. And he says, oh, you're going to live like a Frenchman. And it's that his approval is like so much more a slap in the face to Rick than the warning of his colleague. He's Satan, man. He, and they, but he's... then they have that exchange. He asks him directly about letters, I think, of transit. And Rick says, are you pro-Vichy or free French? And Renault gets the scowl on his face. Like, he's been, like, punched. And he, like, serves me right for asking a direct question. Like, you can tell Renault's not as happy with himself as he pretends to be. You know, in the intro, when the colonel shows up, he doesn't say, Baraka welcomes you, or welcome to this section of whatever. He says, unoccupied France welcomes you to Casablanca because it's all about the theater right mm-hmm. the pretend that this is France totally wink wink and that exchange with Rick where Rick asks him and he like gets the scout happens not too long before that bit where he's forced to shut the club down and the colonel stops pretending just like too bad make up a reason shut your mind like and so so 
while Rick is having his whole transformation, Renault is having a transformation. He is having a mirror held up to his face. And every inch that mirror rises, the less happy Renault gets. To the point where when he shows up to Rick's at the end and Rick pulls the gun, Renault almost kind of seems really unconcerned about the whole process. Like, Rick, once they're at the airport, Rick has the gun in his pocket and he spends all this time talking to Ilsa. And Renault doesn't even do anything, right? Like, that's his chance. If he's really like, oh, Rick's distracted. He's talking to the girl. Like, but no, he just sits there. Because he's made up his mind, right? He's he's seen which way the winds are blowing. And he's decided that maybe he wants to contribute to the winds a bit, right? He's tired of getting blown around. And so, you know, the film's about Rick and Elsa, sure. But Renault is this, like, background character who gets his own entire journey throughout the whole course of the film from start to finish. Yeah. It's and, just hard. It's hard yeah. for me to like that character because oh, of the yeah. manipulation of the women. And yeah. it's a serial abuse thing. It's, it's he he has this position of power. He, he's fucking Weinsteining it, like it, yep. literally. Oh yeah. And he he thinks it's fun and it's a joke and there's different time conversation to be had. But it's 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 repugnant. It's it's evil. That it, it's oh, yeah. just so it, it's all really, things with the Bulgarians, right? The woman who right. comes to Rick. Yeah. And that's the thing. He's gonna he's gonna benefit from whatever situation arises. And that's the thing. He as a character, he tells you that from the jump. And I think that's really interesting too. That he's like, I'll take a fourth Reich. You know, like I, yeah. I like you say, keep you keep saying third. It's like I'll I'll see what happens. And there's a great moment because he delivers that line and he makes eye contact with the guy across. And there's like a line was crossed there. And I I love that moment. They really they played the rest there. It was that was incredible. Anyway, and it's, he spends all this time playing both sides. And yeah. they're talking to the colonel. The colonel is like, you don't seem particularly like loyal to anything. Like, oh, well, you know, I see which way the winds are blowing. But like, the thing is, the colonel shows up and pushes and pushes and pushes and pushes him too far. While at the same time, he watches Rick and Laszlo and Ilsa and sees what's going on. And it, whether he deserves a redemption or not is certainly its own conversation. But that's, he has his own transformation. That he, he looks in the mirror. He's not happy with what he sees. By the time the police roll up at the end, and, if, and ask what's happened. He says he, he basically doesn't even hesitate. The colonel has been shot. Round up the usual suspects. Like there isn't a moment where he like looks over at Rick, does the finger guns, and then goes, "Hey, the colonel's been shot," or like where Rick winks or something. He just does it because at this point it's over. You know, he's tired. He's it's over. Right? He's making a change. I love the. There is a little beat. It's it's small. It's mm-hmm. such a small just, gap, and it's yeah. that's just for us. That's to be like, oh, so that we do. feel the jump in Rick's heart. Yeah, right. Of is this the end? Oh, oh no. Okay. <laughs> and if the, if they had lingered on it a half a second more, it would have felt really deliberate and cheesy. And that's the other thing. Mm-hmm. Is like it, this as dated as it is, and as much as it's been, I like I couldn't watch Godfather because of its ubiquity. When I went to watch oh, that wow. film, I was just very much like seen it, seen it, seen. It. I couldn't latch, and I'm try. I, I I need to give it another shake. I really do. But with this, it was just crazy how it, it made all the right. It zigs every time it should have instead of zagging. You know, it just. I it's an incredible feat for a film this old. Yeah. You know. <laughs> so I, despite everything I've just said about the whole all of that, my favorite scene is actually just. I am shocked to find there is gambling going on in this establishment. <laughs> You're winning, sir. Thank you. The whole thing is done with such bald-faced, like, total shamelessness. And it's the perfect encapsulation of 
the weird ass game of pretend that everybody is playing. So good. The Germans aren't in charge. It's another country. Well, the Germans are in charge. Also, who cares? <laughs> right? it's, such a, it's such a weird. Like the veil falls for every single piece of pretend that everybody is playing. <laughs> in that single moment. <laughs> I love it. I love that one too. I, I want a meme of myself anytime I lose a bet on DraftKings or FanDuel. <laughs> yes. Like I'm shocked that there's gambling going on on this phone. <laughs> I like that one too. So I think I have like like probably like three moments. Number one was, um, and this was something I kind of mentioned earlier, is how like just visually when, when we see the club, like how much, how bright and how much white there is, you know, like he's wearing the white tuxedo jacket, like everything is just very bright. And, you know, even though we don't get the sense that he's like a happy guy, he's kind of participating in the world and everything. And then when there's that moment where he's drinking by himself and he's in the club and it's empty and it's black and it's just like, like, like how much of a contrast it is. I mean, you know, yeah, obviously it's a place that was full of people and now it's closed, but just how much like that hammers everything home, you know, like we're, we're, we're only seeing barely enough of what we have to see just to see what's going on. And, you know, so again, this is like what I was saying earlier about the whole, like being shot in black and white, but even if it was shot in color, I think it would look mostly the same. So that's another example. I feel like most of what we're seeing during the day is like white and bright colors and it's, it's alive and awake. And this is just like almost black. This is, yeah, this is the, the noir moment where it's like the lone guy sitting there drinking and the dame comes in and they're talking and he's standoffish, but, but it's like, you, you know, you get it. It's a more personal thing. It's not this, this trope that we're supposed to buy. Oh, he's this loner guy. It's like, you know, you, you kind of get the emotion of why he's being the way he is. Um, and, and I, and I love that, that even, even, even for Rick, even though, you know, again, like seeing him during the day around everybody, He's he's pretty like even keel, but then to see like his his kind of lowest moment in the darkness, you know, you really see, oh wow, like I thought that was Rick kind of being in the dumps or whatever. This is Rick in the dumps, you know, that he found a way to go even lower than he was when you see him kind of just like, you know, flatlined. Um, so that that I thought was really great. Um I uh what was the other scene? Oh, um when he's the 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 german general or whoever he is when he's like you know questioning him just like how and and i thought it was great too because at this point like you know he's he's not scheming i don't think you know so it's just like every answer he has is just like who he is like he's not he you know it's not like someone who's done something wrong and it's like oh i've got to pretend so the german guy doesn't throw me in a camp like he's, he's just, just so like, yeah just yeah. like you know like I, I don't give a fuck about any of this you know like I love like, that you know, like, where whose he... side you want? It's just like, hey, fuck you, man! Like, like, oh, not my eyes really brown? You know, yeah. <laughs> right? Yeah. I love what he goes. Yeah, the my, my eyes really brown. I love. It's the funniest fucking show. It's so well, good. I love the fact that he takes the book from him as he takes it. He's like, oh, this information. He just like takes it from him and looks at it. And just like yeah. the audacity of that. Like, whatever. Like, you're in my club, but you know, and like what a thought that I had later was like, I I want to see like someone do some sort of mashup somehow of, and not this doesn't have to be of the footage, but it made me think of the contrast of the, the, the scenes in Inglorious Bastards with Christoph Waltz, like just how yeah. fucking scary he is every time he's on screen. Like I am nervous and I want to see him questioning Humphrey Bogart and see how that yes. would play out. Like, like, 
like would he cause like some nervousness or would like he just be like completely like ineffective like it was because like with this german soldier you know like okay yeah he's german like i have a base level of fear of him but like the way rick is like it 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 sort of puts some of that at ease you know as opposed to the fear that christoph waltz instantly instills in the way he does and like you know how how happy he is most of the time like makes him scarier you know um so i thought that was like i love that scene i love the contrast i love just like the the sort of quiet power that rick has you know like and you know and this this sort of confidence but then you also see it kind of also comes from him being a broken man it's like you can't do anything worse to me than what's already been done to me, you know? And, and then he's so like sunken into these convictions of, of neutrality and just like, you know, like, I I don't care about any of this. Like, you know, like you don't have to worry about, you know, and yeah, just like how every, every answer was like so fucking clever, but also so, so honest, but also so just like, yeah, so, so, so neutral. Yeah. Tired. Yeah. And so neutral. And so like, you know, the perfect thing, you know, cause I feel like, I wonder if that's something that the Germans are used to. It's like, if I'm questioning this guy and he's like, you know, kissing my ass too hard, is he being deceitful? And is he, is he trying to get on my good side? Or is he trying to hide the fact that he's really against what we're trying to do here? And he was just so like non-committal to any of it. It was just like, all right, this, this guy's a nobody. He's not doing anything, you know? And- something that struck me when they got off the plane, when the Germans first arrived, was that in basically every other film I've ever seen, what Nazis are in, they look sinister. Mm. Their facial expression or the lighting or something is designed so that they don't look like normal people. They look like Nazis. Mm-hmm. But here, they did. The guy gets off casual. the plane and he just smiles. And I, I had it's to like scary. sort of double take of like because it, right, but it, but it wasn't the grin. You know, it wasn't. No, like, it wasn't winking at the camera at all. No, it was just. It was just looking out casual. Person. It was a normal human face, and then you look down, and there's the uniform, and it was it was shocking, and there was this sudden like, oh my god, like we caricaturize them all the time, and normal is almost worse <laughs> in so many ways. Very much more worse. Yeah. The, the whole thing, the 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 parlor game of this film is fascinating. It, it is very much in the style of Inglorious Bastards portrayal of what <laughs> Landa does, right? Like what that Gestapo officer does is plays in this, he's pretending it's all fine. He's just dancing through it and having fun in the same way these guys, like we're in unoccupied France. We all know what that means, you know, yeah. like that. It's just so the casualness and then sitting down to drink with them too, have come have a drink and then like just very very interesting like walking through very like diametrically opposed the uh, furthest from worldviews that you could get like escaped concentration camp resistance leader that's something that like in the the summaries and the ubiquity of it and i know we're talking about first impression sorry i just got on this tangent but like the idea that he was a freedom fighter is kind of how yeah. I, he was always but no he's an escaped and survivor of the concentration camps to be in the same fuck and the colonel says he was printing propaganda right yeah was he in was he you know throwing grenades out of windows no he was printing leaflets yep and and just the 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 battle of the bands you know literally the idea of the german national anthem being sung and the roarous raucous 
play La Marseille? And the band Just... looks at Rick. And, he... and Rick says yes. <laughs> yeah. Yep. So I this is a bit of Hollywood apocrypha. And I haven't found any like a hundred documented proof, but I also haven't ever heard anybody dispute this. Apparently, a large number of the extras in the film were in fact people who'd been displaced from Europe because of the war. And so wow. some of the emotion you see on their faces during that sinning scene is legitimate and unprompted. Uh-huh. Little Tarantino connections since we're on that topic. Please. The, uh, Peter Lorre saying those poor devils, he says it like <laughs> two or three times. That's straight out of Django Unchained. Like, like what's his, what's uh, Waltz's character's name in that? I can't remember. The dentist. Um, the dentist. But, yeah. Von Schaft, right? Like, anyway. But, like, him talking about these poor devils, like, he, the way he says it, is in this it's all it, it seems like a, i don't know i think tarantino is a nerd for this movie and i like i just had seen another connection like that. dr but king I think, schultz yes 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 yes. and then i think tim you had another one one other favorite scene right oh yeah so just the i mean you know and and sorry if i'm also stealing someone else's with all of mine but the, <laughs> no. the, the roulette table you know just like how how much of like like how significant that was, how like, you know, it, it, you know, Rick kind of like making a decision and Have like, tried 22. <laughs> yeah. And like, yeah. and just the way, like, you know, it kind of played out with like him whispering in his ear and then looking at the, the, you know, the guy running the table and like, it, you know, okay. Cut. And I was so glad too. Cause I feel like every movie I've seen where people are gambling, when they start to win, they fucking fuck up and they end up losing it all. And the fact that it played out where he's like, now cash out your chips and get it. And, and he, they and never he come back. Don't like, come back. And it, yep. like the whole thing like played out like the way it was supposed to and flawlessly. And it was just like, and I also feel like in that sense too, like, you know, it, it also showed that like the guy actually was trying to get the money to get out of here. He wasn't like a gambling addict who it's like, I'm, this is my excuse for gambling, but Oh, let's let it ride again. Let's keep going. And like, fuck everything. It was just like, okay, I can leave me. I, me and my wife can leave. We can go. And then it yeah. all just kind of wrapped up and probably would have drawn more attention if he tried to let it ride again. And like, what well, you know, and it was, so it was just nice to see like, Oh, look, someone trying to do something good for someone, and it actually worked out the way it's supposed to, and not you like... You get the oh, hint of Renault's beginnings there, too, because she comes to Rick to ask if Renault could be trusted. Because the conversation she had was that Renault could get them their visas. Oh, if you have the money. Or, mm-hmm. leave with me. And so she's like, well, can he be trusted or can't he? But it was Renault who sent her to Rick in the first place. Because she says, he suggested I speak with you. And, you know, maybe he just said, oh, well, ask him if I'm trustworthy. I totally am. That's why you should go to bed with me. But maybe not. Maybe he thought Rick would do something. Maybe he just wanted to push Rick. I don't know. But that's, you it's know, an and later, of course, he comes yeah. along and says to Rick, oh, well, you know, you cost me a night with a beautiful woman. And always at the roulette table, ah, you know, you owe me. But he's the one who told her to talk to him. Oh, man. And, you know, Rick says, never come back. But he does, he's never going to. They're, they're not in Casablanca by choice, right? right. He's never going to come back. <laughs> So I, my question with that too is that like a thing like like how would that have worked out like is is there a way like to control the roulette wheel is it like is it <laughs> weighted ball? Well, because I was wondering like that how they did it in oceans right like they oh had right a we got ball. some That's weighted balls tech. in there yep. didn't work by the way he was dressed to help it off fairness <laughs> right so is it so it's an alternate ball so no, most of the time it's just like oh it, it is luck but then it's like okay if. If Rick says 22, I need to make it 22. So, yeah. Because yeah. later that guy asks Carl, 
are you sure this is a, a fair game? Well, of course, sir. <laughs> just, yeah, sure. Totally on the up and up. For safe Please. favorite scenes, I love where they go kind of into that back room and it's Rick is getting ready. And we focus on, in the foreground, we have Renault in all of his finery. And it's defined, and you can see every glint of every fucking medal and badge he's earned. And all we get is the goddamn silhouette of my man, Humphrey motherfucking Bogart. And the ma- the the cigarette acting is unparalleled in this film. The way they light them, the way they flick them, the way they play with them. In the opening, it's- when Renault's talking to Rick about Germans are coming and Laszlo is coming, Rick goes That's to the a- safe. He walks off screen and his yes. silhouette does the entire yes. scene. <laughs> That's what I'm saying. That's the scene. It's fucking tremendous. Just in insane. The power of that silhouette. It reminds me there's a moment in The Black Cat, which is beca- rapidly becoming one of my favorite horror movies. There's a moment where Boris Karloff sits up into frame, and he's not playing Frankenstein's monster in this. He's playing a cult leader. And the way he stands and the way they light him it's definitely a reference to Frankenstein, but the profile, the silhouette, the strength of that figure, chills. This was the exact same technique. It was insane. So great. You could see the little smoke coming off this cigarette. All you see is the frame. All and that's the th- I love the juxtaposition in that. What you have to look at is all that cinema can show you. Every detail of everything in reality is on his uniform. But where your eye is, is on that goddamn silhouette. That's the power of film. That is so exciting and so cool. And and it just, I'm getting emotional about it because it was just like, this is how to do it. And it was so so much more powerful for having that, that division between the two. You know, foreground, background, detail versus... Star and it, it's symbolic too. This is a black and white man, right? He's neutral. He's not going on either side of this very specific line, and it, it, it just—I love that contrast. That's not even my favorite moat. Like that's that's second. The the number one is Ingrid pulling a gun on Rick, and I I, I don't know what I was expecting, but it was like call the police, but not for me. And I know, I know they, they diminish they diminish her resolution in that moment later, but I was just so genuinely surprised that she she's like, I have no other option. There had I have to do something, and she goes for the gun, and I was like, good for you. Like I I I just thought that was such an interesting, and again, it's kind of literally disarmed right in the next few moments he comes and he's like if you're gonna i'll make it easier for you but you can see that this is the level she loves her husband you know that tells you so much about it it's like she chose violence girl my girl chose violence but then she can't do it because she loves rick right yeah Yeah. it's just i love that moment it was such a great piece of writing and a great piece of performance and humphrey too because he's kind of like oh shit she pulled the okay wow that you the wheels start turning too here for he's like what would make her do this i've never seen her do anything to indicate this before and i think that's why it's so surprising to watch i just that that moment was so seriously i was i I had to pause it 
and I rewound it because I was just like, wow, that and they they cheat the moment too. You don't see it. They reveal guns in the same way everywhere in this film. You see faces and then gun, face and then gun. So when he comes back later and it's Rick, you kind of have understood the film language. It's just I love that. I mean, it, and that's the thing. This is the the uh, eat your cake and have it too. You know, like the idea that like you're getting these really challenging, interesting, experimental shots, like that dichotomy, that clear separation with the silhouette. And then you get this surprising language too. And it's just, it's a simple film language, right? Face gun, face gun. There's, it's just a pan down. And it's fascinating that you're, it's teaching you how to watch the film. You know, it's a stat like we're going to herald the entrance of this character. Here they come. You know, it, it, it does a great, it's, it's like a video game that teaches you how to play it, right? Like <laughs> Mario is designed, right? Here's how you jump. It, same way, I mean, Bloodborne is an example of that too, or the, the Souls games. Like they, they teach you how to play it and it's so much better for doing that. And you, I don't know, it's earned. It really earns. Zeke, we haven't heard from you too much on the favorite scenes front. Yeah, I've got a few more. I jumped the gun on a few, um, like the the Sam moment with the going to bed thing and then the knock on wood scene. Similar to that, I think the, uh, just in general, the use of non-speaking roles and extras in all of the scenes. And I think this has that, you know, 30s, 40s, 50s movie magic of like all of the extras and the backdrop are so important um, because you've got so many people there playing that role, right? None of it's CGI. It's just all real people doing practical things set for each scene in the background. Um just gives it so much more scope when you're, when you're looking at a setting like a club or uh, something like that. Um, but in particular, when uh, Ilsa walks in and, you know, you, you see Rick's reaction and then you cut around and like, everyone's kind of looking up and like looking at her entering the club, you know, just the shots on people's faces, I think sets that scene really well. So that was a favorite for me. Um, let's see. Uh, a Renault line that I really liked, and I know we've talked about him, was just the one that was like, uh, you know, when he asks the the wait staff to put the the fancy champagne on his bill, and it's like, oh, it's a little game we play. They put it on the bill, I tear the bill up. <laughs> I'm just going to start using that in just regular everyday conversation. Like, I'm just going to tear this check up. He's um, so goddamn charming and slimy. <laughs> I love him so much and hate him so much. Yeah, the it's delivery such a, of that you know, cost perfect. of doing business. Like, that's why he's so annoyed at the roulette thing. Not just, oh, you cost me a woman, but also, like, look, you do your business and I do mine, and normally we leave each other alone. <laughs> right. I thought that was well-delivered and, like, set his character really well and fed into that scene really well. Um, and I think the last one that I wrote down to, well, just another general thought, not necessarily a favorite scene, but I think with this being a movie where you know so much about it without seeing it, I think I expected there to be so many more uh, Humphrey Bogart, Ingrid Bergman scenes together and build and like you see those characters build their chemistry on scene and you see it all fall apart and that sort of thing. But in reality, they're on screen together, you know, compared to the runtime of the rest of the movie, very in a very limited capacity. And a lot of it is built on their past, right? On that montage early on. Um, it's on the it's audience. Like yeah. It's like Pacino and De Niro in Heat. You see <laughs> that 
everybody knows the big scene, but they're, they don't see each other for the rest of the movie. Right. Yeah. It's on the audience to, to fill in the blanks and to think of the rest of their relationship together and to think of how that impacts the scenes that they are together on screen. Um, so that was surprising to me. So the ones that they were on screen together had that much more impact for me because they were few and far between. Um, so that was more of a general idea than a scene. So I think for me, the last like big scene that I wrote down, and it's probably an obvious one, but when Rick is reading the letter um, and the rain is washing the ink away, oh, I mean, like, that's beautiful. just like, yeah, that's just like a, I don't know, like that's. It's just you know. the right amount of rain smear, but it's still legible. Yeah. How did they do that? Right. And it's like know. perfect, probably like cinematography 101 or I don't know. And it yeah. has like that old timey, like 30s, 40s feel, feel where it focuses on one scene for a little bit too long, right? It's like, hey, look at this thing and you're just to make sure you're going to stay here, yeah. right? And you're just sitting there watching it. Which in any other, because there are plenty of movies that I've seen where it's like, here's a map or here's a letter or here's something that we want you to read, you know, even if it's just graphics, right? And you sit on it yeah. for, it feels way too long, a minute, two minutes, and you're just sitting there reading it. You're like, well, I'm done. When are we going to move on? But the fact that this one sat there, but it was washing away just added so much more um, that it felt like a perfect kind of relic of its time, but also, you know, I think for its time, something that was so unique. Um, I was trying to think of like what to compare it to in, in, in modern films, but I don't know. I don't know that there's anything. It kind of stands alone. It's its own effect. Yeah. I was just thinking like Marauder's map, right? Like that, the ink on that really incredible piece of CGI. Right. But it doesn't hold a candle to this fucking thing. Like it just, I think it it knows the genre it's in too. I think that's something else because it's playing with your expectations. How many times do they focus on the letter? I think they do that in like all of the universal horror films. Anytime yeah. Dracula or somebody's or Renfield's receiving a letter, right? You get that like snapshot. It's in Mr. Smith goes to Washington when they're reading the Gettysburg address, it's etched in stone. You get those scenes. So for you to see it and expect, okay, this is like a film. We'll just read it to the end. And it just, it bleeds. And I had to go back and reread it. Like it was, it was gone. It, in an instant and it was so much about it was the perfect effect to mirror what was happening to rick in that moment right because as the ink is disappearing this this idea of a happy future with this woman that he fell in love with was just gone i also love too that you if you don't read the letter all the way through you don't get the reference at the end when she's (laughs) before she leaves and she says god bless you you Yes, yes, thank you. That's how she All ended the right. Yeah. Goodbye, Rick. God bless you. And then with the airplane. Goodbye, Rick. God bless you. Same, same goodbye. Thank you. I'm so glad you said that, Jim. <laughs> That's my second favorite scene is the, of course, the famous, that plane leaves and you're not on it. You'll regret it. Maybe not today or tomorrow. Sooner for the rest of your life is such a perfect, like, there are so many things we do in life that are like that, that regret at a certain point immediately and forever, you know. But then, yeah, you get that same line. Goodbye, Rick. God bless you. But this time, it's not a sad line. It's not a punch in the gut. You know, it's a tender kiss on the cheek. (laughs) Just amazing. And playing off of that and tying it back into the, the, a line that you know of the movie before you see the movie, but the, here's looking at you, kid. I didn't realize how many times that gets dropped in this movie. Yep. Um, 
It was like you know, four, right? Yeah. And you get it early on as kind of like in a sweet flashback, right? Like that. And then they you do it a, multiple times in the flashback to establish yeah. it as their thing. Yeah. Right. And then you get it later is kind of that kind of similar to the God bless you. <laughs> like the, you know, here's looking at you like kind of farewell sort of thing. But I don't know. I, I think just thinking of it as a movie that I've known about, I thought it was a one-off, like big bomb drop, like line. There it is. That's a line for the movie. But I mean, to... the other famous lines are one-offs, right? Right. I think this yeah, is everything the else of a beautiful is... friendship. Yeah. Play it, Sam. Round up mm-hmm. usual suspects. will always have Paris, Volgen joints in all the towns. Um, if I thought about you, I would. I mean, almost any other line you could think of, it's a one-off. Right. Except so to get this one is just you know a recurring. Um, yeah, still powerful line. I, yeah, that kind of surprised me a little bit too. I almost, I, I had the thought too that I feel like they did it one too many times. Hmm. Like, I feel like if they would have done that. it once yeah. in the flashback and then once, I forget, towards the end, I forget where he says it like the second to last time because that was like, you know, oh, once in the flashback, once in current day and then once, okay, I'm never going to see you. Right. Yeah, but I feel like that that second time during the flashback, like, it was a little made, cramped. Yeah, yeah I made it like, I agree. you know, like the rule of three would have been nice, you know. <laughs> It's funny to in the flashback, right? Germans are coming. Rick almost doesn't care. He's talking about getting through the next yeah. two bottles of champagne because they don't want to do it for the guy's reputation. But Ilsa's the one who says, No, you cannot stay here. You must go because she already, as far as she knew, lost the love of her life to the jerk, the Nazi. She's seen it happen before. She does not want to lose the second one. So she's the one who tells him, You have to leave. I mean, we have to leave. Mm-hmm. Cough, cough. Yeah. <laughs> because she's seen it. He was ready to stay. And despite the fact that he gets that letter, he leaves anyway. You know, Kudos to Sam go. for getting him on that fucking train, too, though, yeah, again, exactly. you know? He doesn't it, go it's... like, oh, well, she's the one who wanted to leave. I'm staying. Here. Like, yep, Sam, like, we need to go. Mm-hmm. Get some on. I wonder if and... Sam was with Rick in Ethiopia and in Spain, right? What's their history? Right. Yeah. Who knows? Are they, like, yeah. in the French Foreign Legion together? Like, are they, like, yeah. fucking war buddies? I. I... Which is more war de- history details for you, y'all, that Ethiopia, meaning when fascist Italy invaded Ethiopia, Rick was running guns for the Ethiopians. And in the Spanish Civil War, the Francoist, fascist Franco government won that, and Rick was not with them. He was on the loyalist side. So right there, that first sentence is, oh, the two times Rick had conviction in his life, he was against the fascists. And that's why the Germans are so interested in him when they show up for his history. But again, you don't need to know what Ethiopia and Spain mean because they have that whole scene with the diary where the guy sits there and says, yeah, we're, we don't like you. Oh, So another nice little thing to pick up on, but also totally not the type of thing that ruins the film if you don't know about it. So should we get to uh, all of the quotes in our notes? Because I know we all fucking wrote down all of these iconic fucking lines. The fucking... I'd like to ask you a few questions unofficially. Make it official if you like. That just the the sing song, perfect. And then, what's your nationality? I'm a drunkard. I'm a drunkard. Oh, that means he's a citizen of the world. <laughs> just fucking perfect. Chef's kiss. Just the best uh, in the delivery. Again, that it's from the hip. It's it's practiced. It's tired, but it's also witty. It's like he's it's like he's he's in an office job he hates. Like yeah. he's here, you got to do the thing. He's the best at it. 
but it's just, it's not a challenge. He's just, oh, it's so, he's stagnant. He's stagnant in purgatory, and it, it's its interesting. Um, oh, he's, he's a class hole, right? He's class a classy hole. asshole. Yep. <laughs> I also love the thing with the, the girl that he's kind of, like, he's done with, right? Like the girl, Yvonne. Yvonne. And, and Sasha. I wrote, I wrote the bartender, Sasha. I wrote his lines, right? So, yeah. Uh, for you, Sasha. For you, Yvonne, because I love you. And she's like, stop talking. He's like, oh, well, I will for you because I because love I you. Love you. <laughs> <laughs> but the, the whole, the, how he handles that situation is like, you're too drunk. Please get her home safe and come right back. Like that too. Like the, and the, the other thing is like, we're closed. How long can we sustain? Everybody's on salary. You get these quiet moments that like, he knows what's right, you know, and, and mm-hmm. I just, I love that. It's so great. I, I love that too. When he, he meets Laszlo, he's like, congratulations for what? There's a pregnant pause. Again, it's not very long. Your work. And it means two things. He's talking about you've captured the woman I love, but also the fact you're dodging Nazis and organizing a resistant movement. It's just like, and he says it like, of course, it's your work. You know, like it's both those that he means it two different ways, but it's like the obvious answer is what you're world famous for. And I I, I just thought that was cool. Sorry. <laughs> just made me think Tyna had mentioned when you would come over Scott to watch Tokyo Drifter. And we, again, there's another parallel there that the, the club in that and the iconic iconographic language of that film is similar to this, but she's like, you and I watch classical movies like people watch sporting events. And that's how I felt watching Casablanca. Cause if you were on the couch next to me, I would be pausing it <laughs> and we would be doing the play by play. Look at the foreground. Look at the com- composition of the shadow. Look at the fucking, the oscillate, the, the searchlights, the oscillating searchlights in the front of the club and how they shoot it from the front. And it's like Rick in the foreground. And then from in the dark, when it, he's drinking, that's the light outside. When Ilsa steps in, she doesn't light up. The wall behind her lights up. Whoosh. Yes. Oh. Just, it, sorry, I just, I had to share that. I thought it was tied to, had, had totally nailed it, because that's what we do, is we shout and watch <laughs> classic <laughs> films, because it's fucking fun. Like, it's so, so compelling and dynamic and interesting. Um, did anybody else have quotes? I have a few more, but like... I mean, you know, of course, right? I, <laughs> I mentioned some of them already, right? I was misinformed. You're winning, sir. The, the whole speech at the plane, but for you, I shut up, Yvonne, because I love you. Done. Like just the whole bit between Rick and Sam about oh, I don't ain't got the time to make spend the money I make here, right? Right. <laughs> just so great. Um, and then. For you, Yvonne, I shut up because I love you. He has two of those I love you lines. And when you get to line three, instead of Yvonne, I love you, it's I love you, Yvonne, but he pays me. Boom. <laughs> Breaks the pattern. <laughs> right. I I mean, Captain Renault gets all the best lines though. Like for all that everybody else gets quoted, Captain Renault's whole like snarky demurring through every conversation is just beautiful. He has a moment where you sit down, Renault is like under the circumstances, I will sit down. I I just love the the calculations that he's making. I shall remember Uh, to pay it for myself. myself. (laughs) Do you, uh, do you despise me, Rick? If I gave you any thought, I probably would. Ouch. That's like the most vicious burn. 
ever. Who Mad Men can eat your heart out. Or, um, right. Yeah, because there's that I, bit in the elevator. I, uh, I I feel sorry for you. I don't think about you at all. But right. I mean, come on, they're imitating. Casablanca is the one. Yeah. The 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 one of the better lines at the end kind of gets hobbled because it's not the the start of a beautiful friendship. It's the return to round up the usual usual suspects. Because at the beginning, he says we're rounding up double the usual number of suspects. Yes. And just, like the Carlos Bird doesn't even warrant double. It's just the usual. Yeah. Like, the, fuck the, you. The bookends on that were just great. I I that was incredible. Uh, I heard you were killed five different times in five different places. The resistance band with the ring says to Laszlo. And Laszlo says, Oh, as you can see, they were all true. But that's why later, when we get from Ilsa, well, I told me he was shot dead trying to it it works. It works yes. immediately because he was killed five different times in five different places. Oh, it's like, will you come with me to Peter? I can't do Peter Lore. Like, I, it's such a great voice. I, I, I wouldn't butcher the man by trying to imitate it. But he has this line where they're they're going to arrest him. And he's like, will you come with it? Certainly. And he does. He, he's just acting the whole. He's kind of looking for his papers and he's doing this thing with his face. And you can see everything's happening. And he says, uh, may I first please cash in cash my, my chips? chips. Just, they're just the, like, sure. Because it's yeah, the French not? police. They don't care. They're right. they're balancing on the knife edge with everybody in every direction, right? The whole thing yeah. is half theater. But then half not when he pulls the gun and they haul him off. Well, I love the moment that he cashes in. He leaves. He holds the door, runs, and then he's going to shoot. Like, it, it's a good plan. Mm-hmm. And like, there's a lot of Ocean's Eleven DNA in that scene, and the earlier one with the guy who gets sh- shot in the middle of the square. It's yeah. very much he came, Caesar's. they uh, he grabbed, they conquered, conquered. and he goes to Rick. You know, Rick, help me! You, you can't get away. And the other guy comes up and says, "I hope you need more help." And they come for me, Rick. And Rick says, for the second time in like two minutes, "I my out for no one," yeah. as if we needed a reminder. Is it time? Well, I have one more trivia bit for you. Ooh. I mentioned a bunch of the wartime stuff and the singing, song, the emotion on our faces. The plane at the end is little people and a scaled plane model. Really? It's not a full-size plane in the background. Yeah, the fog is to hide. I guess the, they weren't happy with the quality of the models. So the fog helps hide it. But the little people on the fog and the model all work together. Yeah. Play it, Tim. Play the situational recommendation stinner. It is. It is time for another <laughs> situational movie recommendation. I I sort of have one, but I don't know if it's good. If you if you want it, so I do want it. Situational do master, it. and it's I I kind of should have, could have done this for Citizen Kane, but what film is is actually good despite people sort of hating on its popularity, if that makes sense. Because with both Citizen Kane and Casablanca, you get this, oh, it's the best movie ever. And so you get this huge swath of people who are like, no, it sucks. You know, as we talked about managing expectations, right? Is there a film like that for you that was widely popular? And when you talk about it to people, it's now sort of popular to hate or it's overhyped or what have you. Is there something that falls in? I don't really have an answer here because for me, it's these two films. And we've watched them both. That's a tough one. I'm I'm excited because I'm going to do the, uh, the elevator music again here.
<laughs> we're gonna have two back to back. I'm I'm just creating more work for myself because I want to be more whimsical with the edit. Um, God, that's hard. Yeah, I know it's, it's very specific. I know that's a no. It's question. good. It's a good you one. Know. I I'm 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 wishing I had my my shelf to look at because <laughs> it's in Oregon. Not, not to be too, I guess. I don't know if this would be considered self-referential, but like, I don't like the, the Ben Affleck daredevil, you know, I, I feel yeah. like we probably talked about this in the yeah. last podcast, but like, yeah. like I was like, wow. And I, and I think I said back then too, like that was at a point when I didn't like Ben Affleck and I saw that I was like, Oh fuck, you know, damn Ben Affleck, you were the bomb in phantoms, <laughs> you know, like, <laughs> and it was like, it, it turned me around to him and I was like, this is wow. What a great comic book movie. And it was like, daredevil fucking sucks. I'm like, oh, yeah. all right, I guess I'm an idiot then. Okay. Like what, what the hell, you know? And I mean, and not that it had the hype of these, but you know, I feel like, I don't know. I forget. At the time it wasn't as hated as, as it became it's hated become, later. Yeah. Yeah. No. Yeah, certainly. I mean, maybe it was because it was like at the time when like the superhero films were starting to get their footing. So like at the time it was like, hey, we got another superhero film. Cool. But then like afterwards, it's like, oh, it doesn't stand up to these other films or whatever. And it's like, I mean, I, I thought it did, you know, and but yeah, that's probably the biggest one for me. That's the one that definitely like, I feel like sticks in my mind. I mean, <sighs> Spider-Man 3, kind of, but I don't love Spider-Man 3. Like, I don't, I, I won't stick up for Spider-Man 3 as much as I would stick up for Daredevil. Like, but you Spider-Man 3 doable. had good pieces in it, yeah. but yeah, like, there were definitely a lot of pieces that were a mess. <laughs> I feel like I answer this every other time, but Planet of the Apes, I think it's something that was really revolutionary at the time, has maintained its shock and its its effect, but it's kind of passed out of, it, it's, it was a B-movie and a b movie period of time but it was the best one of its kind and it kind of has gotten dismissed into obscure i mean we we got the the um the the new reboot series so there was people thought there was something there but the original i think got lampooned and kind of made to be a joke when it's just one of the best sci-fi movies of all time just for establishing tone and a place and a strangeness about a place and that kind of uncanny valley of setting. And I, I think it's just a fascinating, I, really good, just an incredible film. In the same way this, where it's like you've seen it referenced a million times, and if you had the, the ending spoiled for you, I'm sorry, because I think it's one of the best reveals in cinema history. Uh, just something that's been diminished as we've gotten further away from it, but I, I think it still burns as bright. If you need a more modern example, Ready Player One. I think for me, mm. the book and the film. I mean, because the book is it's unapologetically, you know, Mary Sue protagonist full of reference. But you know what? I had so much fun reading through that paperback. And then the film this is a quick read. I like that. Similar, book. you know, it's quick, it's light, it's adventure. They make a bunch of changes to Fids in the film that they make zero attempts to provide any kind of in-world justification, right? Like how the, the virtual reality stuff is all like motion-based so that when they're driving in the truck, he can fall over, you know? And they did that just because it looks better on a screen. But you know what? Who cares? It's just fun from start to finish. That's it. Don't don't think about it too much. Just, just enjoy. Just let it go. It hasn't had a lot of time to sort of become more hated yet, but I have heard a lot of like, oh, it's just full of references. It's so dumb. Like, man, I had so much fun sitting in that theater, right? What about you, Zeke? Yeah, I think I got to go with the notebook. I think especially... Oh, oh wow. A, yeah, I feel like especially as a guy, right? It's one that, like, 
oh, that's a girl. That's a movie that your girlfriend's going to drag you to, and you're that's supposed to hate answer. it. And like, it's a good movie, but like people hate it. And especially as a guy, you're supposed to hate it. But I liked it a lot. Like, remember when when my it's then a stereotype even. Of yeah, the, the dumb right. cheesy romance. Yeah. It's a punchline, right? Like, yeah. yes, yeah, right. Oh, a rom com that's you know it's just the prototypical rom com, and you're supposed to hate it. But I remember seeing it for the first time, kind of going into that, and I remember my now wife, girlfriend at the time, like we did a movie marathon thing where she picked that, and I picked Die Hard, and we called it Die Hard, <laughs> and we watched <laughs> both of those together, and I was like this dumb girl movie like i don't want to watch that like sure it's popular but i don't care like it's gonna be bad and i loved it so i feel Can like that please have nat on the podcast and do a cry hard revisited please please <laughs> absolutely yeah oh my god for that it's so good <laughs> it was great yeah and i think she i think i like the notebook more than she liked die hard but that's fine but yeah it's one of those that it's popular and you're supposed to like it's popular, but you're supposed to hate it. But I liked it. Um, I think it's on the just other an emotional story, like I, I, right. I really enjoyed it. I haven't returned to it because I don't want to cry that much. Like it, it is, I, I think it lived up to the emotional weight of it. It's a beautiful story. Like I, yeah, right. yeah. And I think it checks the boxes of like what's a popular one that people hate, but is good. So I think ironically for me, like with the Notebook was. I mean, I, I'm not, I'm not opposed to romantic movies. So like I went into it being like, okay, I've heard this is amazing, but I was almost disappointed because it wasn't as as good. Like it seemed more like, like, yeah, like I was expecting it to be like, I don't know what exactly I was expecting, but like, yeah, like the way it was sold, like I didn't dislike it because I'm a dude and I'm not supposed to like emotional things. Like to me, it wasn't, I, I I guess for lack of better term, it almost seemed like, like a, a, like a cheap move, like, oh yeah, we'll have them die in the bed together. And it's like, like you could have done anything leading up to that point, And I would have bawled my eyes out seeing the couple <laughs> die in bed together. So it's like the, the story you told wasn't great. You, you kind of took like the very, like, I don't want to, I don't want to say obvious, but it's, yeah, it's like, it's like, of, of course it's sad. And of course it's emotional. And it's like, you know, it's, it's, it's what we would all love to have, like, yeah, to die in bed together, to not have to like live without our partner if they die before us, you know? And, and to me, it was kind of like a, like a cheap shot, you know, it's like, did you actually make a good movie or did you just think of the saddest, sweetest ending of all and pack that on the end of your movie? And, and that was it for me. So yeah, it wasn't, it wasn't that I was just like a dude and I didn't want to see, it was like, I was like, oh, I, I thought there was going to be more to this, you know, and and I mean, I I did like a lot of the scene, and I, I guess you know to give it credit, like the fact that it it had this kind of like you know a lot of times a love story is all about oh the beginning of their relationship, but to tie that into the end, so it's like credit where credit is due, yeah, to kind of see the origins of their relationship, but also how it lasted that whole time and, and, you know, was able to kind of pull her out of her dementia and you know, all that stuff. And that was great. And the way that, you know, the Chopin prelude ties into all of that was great. Um, Yeah. I think, I I think it was just like, I didn't buy their relationship when they were young. Like, I think that was my thing is I didn't connect to any of that stuff all that much. Like, like I didn't feel like, Oh yes, these two people should be together. They're going to have a love that spans their whole life and is going to, you know, it was just kind of like, I don't know, like, they're all right together, I guess, you know, like maybe, you know, and it's not that I'm not a Ryan Gosling fan or anything like he's great, you know, but it was just kind of like, I don't know. 
but anyway, yeah. So for a different reason, like, yeah, I could see why, you know, why that was one of those films that got very built up. Um, and, and yeah, and it wasn't that I, I didn't like that genre of movie. It's like, it's like, Hey, if I'm going to watch a romantic movie and enjoy it, like I, I want it to be good. Like I, I felt like yeah, I was kind of like, yeah, I guess I felt I wanted more from their, their younger relationship, you know, more from, you know, that part of the story, you know, it was almost like, it's almost like he wrote the ending first and then it was like, all right, uh, you know, I'm going to subcontract out, like tell a love story about two people falling in love, whatever, but, oh, but the ending, oh shit, that's going to get you, you know? <laughs> so we, we've kind of bled into the opposite of this question. And I think that would also be fun. What is the movie that is overhyped that you agree with the overhyped? Does anybody have one of those? I have one locked and <laughs> loaded. <Yeah. laughs> I'm ready to. I think uh, Avatar for me and Timely because they're coming out with Avatar 2. That it's, one hurts, right? Well, that's fair. So, I mean, it's because I, of the graphics. Like, I like what else Avatar. is it good for? It fine. Like, yeah, it's but fine. But it's not. I'm sorry. Close the box. Close the box. <laughs> <laughs> it's fine. But like the, the I don't know, You're the pedestal right. that people put in. Yeah. 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 <laughs> You're not I wrong. <laughs> Well, yeah, Why it's, are it's you booing me? I'm right. Boo this man. <laughs> it, it brought into mind life. what makes something a good movie. You know, right. is is a movie like about the visual spectacle? Is it the story? You know, it's like if you want a good story, just read a book. You know, it's like should you? You know, but it's like I want a good story and good vision. I want the whole package. Yeah. So it definitely like I feel like if you ignore the story, it's like yeah for yeah visually and the but it's also just yeah it's Pocahontas like full disclosure yeah. like like Ready Player One. I got the value out of my ticket. I went oh, into yeah. the theater. That I had a fun time. Ticket. I walked out with a smile on my face. But yeah. with Brave Blair, what is not garbage, but Avatar is not <laughs> not Citizen Kane, right? You know? no. No, so but... They're playing like a teaser for the Avatar sequel, the first of five or whatever they're doing. Oh. And I was so jaded when the trailer started. And then they showed me underwater Navi and my brain went, oh God, they're actually going to get me excited for this <laughs> bullshit. Either it'll be another just perfectly adequate visual spectacle, which is fine. That's all I want out of the movie half the time anyway. Or they'll really explore this fake world they made that honestly was pretty damn interesting. So I'll take it, right? Win-win. Eh? Sam Worthington is such a better actor now than he was when he started that franchise. <laughs> But yeah, like when you have you seen the director's cut, Zeke? No. Uh-uh. Why would you add more to this? I have it. I have the steel book. <laughs> I'm very proud to own it on Blu-ray. But they add things. It fills in some gap. It's like the Snyder cut. It's the Snyder cut oh. before the Snyder cut. It's like okay, this is overly long, and it kind of fixes some things. But why? <laughs> I mean, I did like the world building, and I like the visuals, but I mean, I don't no, know. you're you're totally don't need correct. a second one. Like, <laughs> fine, I yeah, is, I just don't. This, yeah, is this going to be based on another like you know like well the first one was Pocahontas, now let's do like Sleeping Beauty, but in the Navi world, you know, it's like well it's okay, underwater, like, so it's Little Mermaid. That's yeah, what it's oh yeah be. yeah there you go. Yeah. <laughs> like, are you gonna are you gonna tell your own story now? Like, yeah, that's. <laughs> Oh, it would be cool if they did like Moby Dick on that planet, right? Like, would that like cool fucking weird giant creatures and a pirate whaling? I don't know. 
<laughs> Maybe I, mean, I shouldn't say mine because I think mine is more beloved than even Avatar. <laughs> well, not financially. <laughs> I think <laughs> I think this was the film that Avatar finally beat at the box office. <laughs> I didn't enjoy Titanic. I'm sorry. I know I'm wrong. I, it's just like, these are incredible effects, but I know the fucking boat sinks at the end, and I know Leo dies. <laughs> and I know she could have moved her ass over and let him on that fucking door. So it was just like, why do I care? The carriage you... scene is not that hot. It's fine. Like, it's fine. But <laughs> why? What were you going to say, Zeke? <laughs> Did you watch it in 97 when we were no. rolling with two VHS no. tapes? Because that was the spectacle. It, we had it in had the a... house. <laughs> when you had to switch tapes, I understand okay. the hustle. Okay. I had that I had that for Ben-Hur. I understand. <laughs> I got you. Ben-Hur was my other answer for the other question. Was I think it holds up. It's a bit long. But it's mm-hmm. it's Charles Heston at the height of his power. He's he's saying lies. Power. He shouldn't fucking not say. a game, not a career. Power, <laughs> power. <laughs> that in Wade's world too. Pinnacle of that man's career. <laughs> guns don't kill people. Apes with guns kill people. Yeah, what a what a punchline joke that man has become. Um, yeah, no, I watched Titanic way way late, and I was just I couldn't. I couldn't suspend. I was like, when they get to where it's flooding, and I was like, this is great effects. I think it's really practical. The way that they portrayed the terror of that was great. But that sequence is long. It's so long. And we just watched this really, I don't know. I saw a better, Leo and Romeo and Juliet was more fun a romance to watch, even though it was... I, I don't. I have my problems with Romeo and Juliet, but at least they had fucking guns and shit, and fun. it was fun. Like they, I don't. I didn't have any fun watching Titanic. It's like I know you're gonna die cold and frozen in these this ocean. Are you supposed to have fun watching Titanic? <laughs> Who is it for? What is what is what am I supposed to revel in about it? I don't understand. Like you know they die, and she has that big fucking jewel at the end. She throw it just seems like nihilistic. We know the beginning, middle, and end before we even start, and that was at the time right the love story on the titanic it's not the love boat they don't make it off the fucking boat who's it for i'm sorry this has turned into a 45 minute rant (laughs) it's for our lord and savior kathy bates as molly brown (laughs) (laughs) that's a kathy bates film (laughs) speaking of which since we're all in denver for now go see the molly brown house it's a museum it's fantastic yes i need to i think i did high tea there once with my mom that was fun. Oh, wow. Mm-hmm. Little boy, mom flex for you, boys. <laughs> Let's go down that rabbit Well, <laughs> start that one. I've Joel. already alienated. Like, we had maybe three listeners. We're now down to Noah in the background of other stuff. Like, hi, Noah. Um, say, what? Yeah, I don't like him. I missed the. Yeah. Oh, I said, I thought you were going to say Princess Bride. Oh. Yeah, that's, that's my other hot take. Uh, yeah, I could kind of say that too. Cause like, again, Damn it, it's you're good. both wrong. No, it's good, but it's not. It's not what people say. Yes, it is. It's There's something not. about the yes. way it attempts to parody itself that just ends up kneecapping its own seriousness. No, <laughs> what he just said the frame <laughs> totally undermines any legitimacy of yes, Why yes, pop so of reach. Wrong. <laughs> Tim, still where are good. you at on Still it? a lot of fun. <laughs> I, I, yeah, I love Princess. I mean, I think to be fair, I also saw Princess Bride like when I was a kid, probably soon after it came out. Mm. And I think maybe that's part of it too. Is like if you if you see something like people who see something as a kid and grow up loving that thing, 
And, you know, as opposed to, yeah, like, like we were saying with Titanic, if you saw that, like, later, yeah. you know, it's probably not like, okay, if I'm coming at it, you know. I had the same For the same reason the I don't like SpongeBob Club. or Pokemon, you know, like, right. I wasn't into those things when I was a kid and then grew up with them. So I can't look on them now and, and appreciate them. That, but I understand people who were into them when they were young and then as adults can appreciate those things because you had it when you were a kid. But so I think I think that's the the difference, at least for, you know, for me, like, I don't know if I would love Princess Bride if I saw it for the first time. Now. Yeah, I had it set to M for many. <laughs> Should be set. <laughs> anyway, um, that was the breakfast bug for me. Too, I don't. The... I don't. Oh, this was Wait. good, but I missed it. I was too old. Yeah. yeah. Please, Joel. Sorry. I... I don't think it's bad. I just don't think it's for me. I don't think it ever was for me because mm-hmm. I've never liked things where they overly repeat lines. Like the whole, like, as you wish thing, like, because they have these touchstone lines that they come back to, I always felt, and it's something that they did in a series of unfortunate events reading mm. that it just felt very pedantic and overly repetitive. And it felt like they were treating me like an idiot. Like, I couldn't get it. You you have to reference it so many times for me to come back to. So I think I watched it way too late. And even if I had watched it as a kid, I feel like that would have been something that put me off on it. But also, I I just, my value in stories when I was little was how good's the store, sword fighting, right? So I love Kevin Costner in Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves. That's not a great movie. I fucking love it. But the sword fighting is what I love. Like that's that was my buy-in, and that's the one I, I. So I watched that when normal kids were watching Princess Bride. I watched Legend mm-hmm. of Zorro, and I would like that stuff. It was all about sword play. So I, I don't think it's without merit. I think it just was not geared towards me. It's geared towards most people. I will to- freely admit that people enjoy it. I mm-hmm. I really like Billy Crystal in it. Like I. I love Andre oh, the Giant. God, yeah. in it. He's great. You know, man. like the, there's parts of it that I like. It's just yeah. I, again, I'm not going to say anything bad about it as literally bad, but just not as good as. Thank yeah, you, ladies and gentlemen, for we joining us to. for the last episode of <laughs> well, Movie speaking Mumble. Of which some of my own answers, right? I mean, I we I mentioned Tim. Yeah, the Breakfast Club just I missed the boat, right? But we talked about The Shining in The Shining episode. Oh, this! I Bad. why did I do this to us? I'm sorry. Fight <laughs> episode. Fight, so fight. Go listen to that if you want that bit. I my other one is sort of the Maltese Falcon, which I think I've talked about before in the context of noir. It is not a noir. It is sort of a proto noir, if anything. It's also just kind of goes nowhere. The whole film just kind of fizzles out. I don't know. Um, but the other. The one I want to actually soapbox about a bit is Full Metal Jack. The first half, it's one. it's one really excellent movie and one pretentious shit heap <laughs> stapled together in the middle. And... Anytime they move from boot camp to somewhere else, it's a mistake. They did it in Stripes too. The second you leave boot camp, the war movie becomes not as good. And that's the thing. I've never everyone who ever defends Part Two to me says something like, "Well, it's about the subtle, you know, subtlety." It's a, it's just ham-fisted is the problem, right? If you want a movie that does says what Full Metal Jacket says about war or about soldiers or about the military-industrial complex, but better and more subtly and with more nuance, pick basically anything else. Pick the Vietnam section of Forrest Gump. Pick Platoon, which did come out before Full Metal Jacket, by the way, right? You know, hell, even the really sugary bullshit part in the middle of We Were Soldiers with the photographer, which was like so... 
sugary is the term, right? Just of that like really cheesy da 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 music's gonna jump up John Wayne bit. Even that was way more effective than the entire second half of Full Metal Jacket, right? And and between that and The Shining, I have had a couple people ask me, do you just hate Kubrick films? I love Dr. Strangelove. I brought it to the podcast, for good sakes, right? So I don't know what it is about those other two. I love the first half of Full Metal. It's some, there's something inconsistent about his work in relation to me. But Strangelove is such a diff, like, that's such a different Kubrick film than sure. anything else he ever did. Like, I, yeah, I, I, I think... I think you don't like Kubrick. I think you like him okay. his sense of humor. I okay, that's fair. that's my diagnosis. Maybe I don't. Maybe I'll watch more and more of his films and still hate all the rest of them and just be left with Doctor Strangelove. I, these are the only three of his. That's all you need, so far. really. If Plus, all you have is Strangelove, um, it's a good selection. Two thousand and one. Yeah. Oh, okay. I was just gonna say. Oh, I was thinking of bringing two thousand and one at some point. But yeah, if you've heard. Which, if you've well, heard... I, to be fair, that's I saw that as a kid and didn't understand it. So I do need to give it a real, an actual watch. Please but give me a technically, reason to finish that film. on paper, right? Yeah. Um, and then AI was Spielberg did that, right? But it was a Kubrick plan, the artificial intelligence movie. Mm. Oh, so I don't know if I that know counts that. or not. Another no, one that I, like, I haven't seen that. I haven't yeah. seen that one. It's great. I haven't seen Paths of Glory. I'm excited for that one, actually. Another one that I was thinking is eight and a half. I wasn't all that impressed with. It's Fellini, so like I, I don't know mm-hmm. if anybody else has seen it, but. I was very much like, I, oh, I see, I see what he's done here, but it's very infantile and it's very like focused on him and his. I don't know. It's very Fellini focused. It's kind of masturbatory, but usually I like that. <laughs> Weird. <laughs> um, uh, I'll just leave that there with an og- pregnant pause. Panheo. Um, I'm going to stop talking there. Eight and a half. So, oh, so Scott, I just I want to say too that I've seen. The beginning of Full Metal Jacket three times, but all the way through only once. And I, I totally agree that it's just like, I think I, I watched it once and I thought that was the end of the movie. Cause I remember watching yeah. it a second time and I was like, oh, there's more to this. And then watched the second half and I was like, what the fuck is this? And then I think there was another time after that I watched the first half and just deliberately stopped. Yeah. And like, and I, yeah. Maybe, I mean, you know, I use serious language. I, this may be not fair, but ham-fisted is the term for that whole second half everything that people say it says about war or morals or whatever any kind of message or nuance to be pulled from it was done better by something else either before or not long after and i guess if if you agree that it was done better after fine we can credit kubrick a bit for inspiring (laughs) but yeah and then this platoon kind of single-handedly ruins Full Metal Jacket's second half for me, if you've ever seen that. Which is funny, because I actually old. don't like any of the other Oliver Stone movies I've seen, except Platoon, <laughs> so I don't know. Everybody gets one. Scott go. chooses one from every director. <laughs> <laughs> so you have another Rob Reiner oh. film you like instead of uh, uh, Princess Bride. <laughs> That's a better <laughs> argument to the masses. So I mean, now that we're all good evil. and alienated, no, let, let, let's no, let's yeah. not. <laughs> let's finish up. Uh, <laughs> Though that is another bingo segment. Us looking things up silently on the podcast. Yeah. <laughs> no, it's gone on long enough. So, uh, but <laughs> end, it all, now. Really, end it now. Thank you for joining me for Casablanca. Thank, I'm really glad that you all liked it, um, and even more than Citizen Kane. Yeah, it's just it's a more fun movie. It just moves more briskly. You all kind of said everything i was going to say about it a lot which is great it proves i'm not that crazy <laughs> um and that wraps up my option for this month i was thinking tim 
mention your war movies. You're not gonna like my next pick. It's a World War II movie, but <laughs> between because of like a Citizen Kane and Night of the Hunter and the next one, I guess I'm just the old move, the World War movie guy. I don't know, but thankfully for you listeners, you don't have to worry about that for more episodes. <laughs> uh, because next up is Tim, and Tim, what will you be bringing us? That's right, it is me. Okay, well, I've, I've had this one locked and loaded for a while. Um, this movie i i both love it and i hate it <laughs> um so i'm bringing the, the movie atonement um, oh this was the one so hey in, it's world war ii movie yeah yeah, yeah exactly <laughs> <laughs> and uh but so in my my film score analysis class at the get-go they were like oh you know we're going to be discussing a bunch of music music and a bunch of movies and for your final project you have to pick one of these three movies to do like a deep dive into and the three movies were empire strikes back b movie and atonement and i remember reading that going of course i'm going to do empire strikes back and then like two weeks into this class when i saw how intensely we had to analyze this shit i was like there is no like and a lot of it you know uh, i don't know that you know i mean i've done analysis and you know i've got you know, a bachelor and a master's in composition. So I've done a share of analysis, but in classical music, you have scores, you have scores you can find online. Some of them are uh, public domain. You can print out free PDFs of the music and you have sheet music to look at and analyze and write stuff on film. Music doesn't work that way. You've got to figure that shit out by ear and write it all out yourself. And I was like, there's no way I'm going through all of fucking empire strikes back and listening ah. to it, writing out by hand, all of the fucking music in there. You know, there's no way. So um, that was when I pivoted to, well, actually, no, it wasn't right off the bat because in one of my other classes, they brought up how, um, I think it was about, the topic was about collaboration between, you know, the, the sound designers, the sound editors and the composer. And then a lot of times you can get this nice melding of, um, you know, and, you know, the diegetic and non-diegetic elements, the way they work together. And an example of that, that, that she presented was the opening of atonement where it starts with a girl typing on a typewriter and then the music starts, but it's this rhythmic typewriter sound that builds into the music. And then at one point, like a big downbeat of music, like there's a woman who's like fluffing a sheet on the bed and that happens right on the downbeat. And the sound of the sheet becomes this like, it, you know, the sheep being fluffed becomes this percussive element within the music. And I was just like, oh man, like I didn't know atonement was like this. So, so I immediately said, okay, this is what I'm going to do. If this is the type of music that's happening here, this is what I want to analyze. And, you know, the other part of it too, is like, I feel like I don't know everything there is to know about star Wars music, but I have a pretty decent handle on it. So it's like, you know, it, it's not like I'm missing out by not analyzing empire strikes back. Cause there are, many parts of that i'm already aware of but you know my my fear was like oh hear that little scene where you can barely hear music behind all this dialogue and sound effects analyze all that for me you know so so that's when i chose atonement and i had to watch that film and, and the way it worked and i was actually glad of this i've never had classes do this before where your final project was actually divided up amongst the last six weeks it wasn't i'm going to give you homework every week and then in the last week you have a giant project due that's six weeks worth of work mm -hmm. like we had to do it in parts so pretty much i had i think I, yeah i must have watched that film at least six times within six weeks 
you know, within six, six weeks time. And I just got to know every in and out of the story, every in and out of the music, you know, um, I ended up to make my life a little easier. I found the sheet music, the piano music online, and I bought it so that I didn't have to do everything from scratch. So I also want to pass that along to you guys. If, if you guys are interested in looking at any of that music to kind of go over, but, um, aside from just the way the music is integrated into the film, it was, it was just, a. a a masterfully told story masterfully acted by everyone involved. And, um, and I mean, it's probably up there with my favorite films now, but, um, I will warn you if you haven't seen it, it is, it is pretty heart wrenching and depressing and, you know, and that is a brutal it, it, film. It, yeah. Brutal. That's a good, that's a great word for it. Yeah. Um, it's, it's, it's also masterful the way that's dealt with as you'll see we you know we can talk about that when we see it that like i feel like the way it's presented it is less brutal there because there there are elements of of hope that kind of work their way in you're like oh well this sucks but at least there's this and so anyway we'll talk there are and there are not (laughs) is what i will say (laughs) yeah another good way to look at it so but you see have you all seen it already yeah i haven't oh zeke has okay so you'll you're the only Get the tissues buddy. here. Oh, <laughs> Good to know. This is this is the movie Tina watches to like cry. Like this is the first time I watched it Tina didn't prepare me for the emotional toll it takes on her and it is it is intense. It is yeah. masterful. I, I would agree but like brutal. Yeah. yeah. Looking forward I, to it. Yeah. And it, yeah, so it's uh, James McAvoy, Kira Knightley, um a few other people work their way. Benny Comes there. is in it. Who is it? Benedict oh yeah, ben, yeah, ben yeah. That's for, oh, that's I for, yeah, I forget. Oh, and also apparently the um the uh, the woman who's in uh, Ted Ted Lasso, uh, she's in. Oh. It. She plays like the 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 redheaded girl. Apparently, like my wife oh. told me, that's a that same okay. actress. Nice. Um, not the not Bryony, but the 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 cousin or whatever. Yeah, mm-hmm. she's the the woman from Ted Lasso who like starts off with the 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 asshole guy, and then they break up, and she you know so yeah, that's that's her. Well, that's exciting. Okay. Yeah, I'm in. So, <laughs> oh man, I just I think I set I set Zeke up to, to be no. fucked even harder by this. <laughs> I, you kept talking. I was like, you need to stop talking. Just don't tell him. Don't get him attached to anybody in this film because it hurts. It just hurts. It hurts for two hours, oh, no. and it's a little longer than that. <laughs> so, so and just to yeah, just to prepare everybody, like. It is a great film and I will be talking about it as a film, but I am also going to talk a lot about the music since I spent six weeks digging into it. And, and what's great is like, it's the, the music is very, um, you know, it's not, that was another reason why I didn't want to do empire strikes back because it's full orchestra, like 90% of the time, you know? So it's like, okay, where are the flutes playing? Where are the clarinets playing? Where are the violins? This is a very small instrumentation. It's very modest, um, so there are a lot of times where, you know, you, you know, even though the, there is a good amount of music and the way it's used is very masterful, it's, it's smaller in- instrumentation. It does fit the, the film very, you know, very well. And, but yeah, there are some, so I guess, I guess one of the things I want you guys to think about as you're watching it too, is, you know, we talk about favorite moments, but if you could think of your favorite moments of the music 
like specifically working with the film and connecting with the film. Um, Cause there are, there are a great many moments where the, you know, the way the music ties in, you know, it's not just like this. A lot of times it's not just, I mean, it is just background music, but the way it integrates itself with the film is, is amazing in a way that doesn't happen a lot in films, you know? Um, so, so yeah, I'd be interested, you know, if, if, as you're watching it, you know, you can have, you can think about your favorite scene in the film, but also, you know, dig into the music and, or things that you happen to notice like, Oh, that's weird that the music did that. And, you know, um, things like, you know, like I said, in the, in the very opening, you'll see she's typing on the typewriter and then she stops typing, but the sound of the typewriter becomes a percussive element in the music. So like, that's, that's the earliest example that you see. And right away, you know, Oh, like, okay, there's something more happening than just here's the action on screen and here's music in the background, you know, doing its own thing. I'm really excited. I was probably still just a little too young for that the first time I saw it. And although I've rewatched it since, I have trouble shaking that visceral emotional response I had at the time from my my more grown up perceptions. So it'll be really I, I think it hits that hard regard. I I, I <laughs> seriously I, I was I was not young when I saw it. I wasn't ready for it either. So I not like I it's yeah. very intense and it, it doesn't diminish is the other thing rewatching yeah. it, it it's it's a force and it, it comes back but i'm also really excited to analyze it through this musical lens yeah. you've given us tim Woo! it's gonna be great it's taking yeah. 75 episodes but we got a musical episode but it's about atonement <laughs> <laughs> you atone we atone jesus christ they should do atonement the musical <laughs> The, the Book of Dude, Mormon Atonement. You can write it now. Let's write it. That's true, yeah. <laughs> after the Rush one, after 2112, we'll do yeah. Atonement. Yeah, but that's the a, that's a thing is like, it, it's like the music is so, I mean, it would be fun to be like, although, you know, like integrating the, you know, the way the music integrates into the film, like to integrate that into the live performance and then the vocal parts would be really fun. But yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, thank you. Thank you very much, Tim. That's going to be a phenomenal discussion, I'm sure. Thank you, Joel and Zeke, for joining us once again. Thanks to all three of you for watching Casablanca and enduring my endless quote jokes. And uh, thank you, listeners, for all of the above, truly. Uh, Until next time, everyone, have a good night. Get yourself a drink and bet on 22. Bye. God bless you. Ain't you going to bed? Did you know Movie Mumble has its very own Twitter account? Please follow us on Twitter at MovieMumbleNTG and tweet at us with questions, reviews, or recommendations of things you'd like us to watch next. 